Big Weekend Gaming, a podcast that dives into gaming news, analysis, and reviews. If you'd like to help contribute to the growth of this podcast and community, please leave us a five-star review, as it helps people find us. With that said, let's get on with the show. Shut up! Big Week's on the radio! Shut up! It's Gaming Parker Studio! Welcome, welcome, welcome to a Big League in Gaming. I'm Intergot and I'm joined by Swinny Costello. Episode 1 on this Saturday, 18th of July, 2020. Let's get right into it. With the announcement of Far Cry 6 at the Ubisoft Ford event, we now know the, the date for the next big Xbox event, and our retrospective on Bonk's Adventure. Starting off with our first item, French mega publisher and developer Ubisoft revealed details on the new and upcoming games in their Ubisoft Forward event on this past Tuesday. We'll start with their one last thing, which was the reveal of the previously leaked Far Cry 6. Very unfortunate from them for their perspective to get it leaked before it actually came out. This is the sixth mainline installment of the Far Cry series, dating back to 2004's Far Cry from, from German developer Crytek, which actually just originally started as a tech demo for the Cry engine, and then spawned into its own long-running series along with the other long-running series around Crisis. This installment, uh, the real exciting thing around this one is Giancarlo Esposito, which he is, most people know, Gus Fring on uh, Breaking Bad, who stars as the dictator of this game, of a small island which is obviously an homage to Cuba, and it seems like he's raising his son a little bit uh, like God of War. What were your thoughts on this, Swinney? Look, honestly... It was a fantastic trailer. Um, one thing that Ubisoft does very well, with the one exception that I think we'll get to uh, soon, in my opinion, is present things in you know amazing you know ways and like just I guess the the treatment that they gave this with the visual style, um, I thought it was brilliant. And while I won't say I'm the biggest fan of the Far Cry series, I think if you want a villain in your game. You can't go wrong with Gus Fring. He's great. Oh, I, I totally agree. Like, you know, we're both huge fans of Breaking Bad. Uh, and, you know, me, I think I probably joined Breaking Bad maybe in season two when it was coming out. Um, and I remember when he came into the show and that show to me was already maybe one of the greatest shows of all time at that time. But then when he came into the show, it just elevated it even further. Um, but I'm actually really interested. And I, I firstly, I do agree exactly with your comments around Ubisoft. I think the greatest compliment you could ever give a uh, presentation is where you're hyped to the point where you're like, oh, hey, I might actually go play Far Cry 3 or 4, which I have never done. But I was actually looking through and seeing if it was in my backlog somewhere or a game I already owned, um, which is always a huge compliment. But one thing I wanted to bounce off you is just this, you know, this thing that's happening more and more now. And I think, you know, it's going to be a big theme going forward is you're bringing in you know, stars from TV, film, you know, the Keanu Reeves type of things into starring roles in video games and whether you think that that will work or not. Well, there is, um, there's definitely precedence for this. Um, the Call of Duty series does has done this multiple times. So they had Kevin Spacey um, and in the starring role, a number of others as well. And obviously you're only going to really, really be able to do that with these big budget games. Um and I think that 
it just makes sense um, because you see the trailer, you see someone that you can associate with um, or associate, I guess, with something you've seen them in. Um, I, I think it gets eyes on on your game. Um, not saying that it's always going to work out well. You know, for every, I guess, situation like this, you've got, um, what was that game uh, with uh, Bruce Willis on the PlayStation 1? You know, I think it was Apocalypse or something like that. Um, there's times when it just doesn't work, but I think it makes sense. Yeah, I, I'm going to go out on a limb, which I shouldn't, but I actually think that this reminds me a lot of uh, early kids 3D animated films where when they were originally coming out, you know, with, with the exception of Toy Story, but they didn't have huge names attached to it. And that's the same as, you know, the old school Disney cartoons. But what it eventually ended up being is you pretty much can't even make, a, you know, 3D animated film without having names attached to it. You know, so I even went back and I was watching Lion King with my son, the original cartoon version, and then just seeing the new one that came out uh, last year, you know, I recognise the voices straight away of all the characters because they're sort of, you know, famous actors. And I, I feel like games, you know, if I go forward in five, ten years, I feel like it's almost going to be, uh, you know, how can you not have a game without a star attached to it as one of the lead roles? Well, in saying that, I mean, it's obviously much more so with that Lion King remake, which I haven't seen, but... Um, I, I mean, the original did have Jeremy Irons. It did have Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Um, and there's That's probably true. more. Fair. So it, it's not... It Nathan Lane. Yeah, exactly. But I think it is definitely gone more in that direction than it ever has before. Um, and I just think well, a lot of the DreamWorks ones and a lot of the... Yes. I'm not sure the production house that does, like, the Trolls movies. But, um, you know, though, those just seem to be just nothing but famous people. Um, well, and... and- my argument there will be that Jeremy Irons, Nathan Lane, etc., they're great voice actors. Like they're great actors, they're Broadway actors as well. Like they, you know, I think any voice actor would go, "Hey, Jeremy Irons, okay, he's got me." Right? He's a great voice actor. Whereas I look at a lot of the ones in the latest kids movies, to me, you know, being very analytical and critical, I just don't think they're very good voice actors. Like, I think they're great expressive actors in shows and TVs and films, but I just, it doesn't come across the same. And I think they've got to be really careful how they do this as well. And I, I think someone like Gus Fring, who, sorry, Gus Fring, uh, Giancarlo Esposito, he, you know, he's a great, like, actor, voice actor as well. Like, the performance came across really well in, in this. Um, and I, I can't rem- remember, I didn't capture it in my notes, but, they dated this. This was um, 2021 February. Is that right? From memory? Uh, for the release. Yeah. Of oh, I didn't quite catch that, but um, that sounds like it would make sense. Um, but did you, by the way, did you know that Giancarlo Pizzito doesn't actually know how to yeah. speak Spanish very well, apparently? <laughs> no, I didn't know that. That's I was, awesome. I was reading something that um, apparently is a lot of, uh, you know, um, Spanish speakers that are kind of very critical of the way that he pronounces words. And it's <laughs> interesting to me because I look at that and I'm like, wow, I had no idea. But then when That's I really when funny. I look at um, some people trying to do Australian accents and a lot of them failing badly um, as in a- as actors, it's like, yeah, I can kind of see that. You know, you can you can pick a fake Australian accent a mile away. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, that, that is so funny you say this because... 
you know, I didn't know much about his background. And just to just to call out, Far Cry 6 comes out on Feb 18, 2021. And it's going to be cross-gen. So PS4, PS5, Xbox Series X, Xbox One, PC, and also Google Stadia, which uh, we might bring up later, amazingly. We can't forget that. We'd mention it. I know. I never thought we'd mention it, but I do have something I want to talk about. about it. Um, but yeah, he was born in Denmark and his nationality is American Italian. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Interesting. Cause I was thinking it was more like, I don't know if you know, but I've got a bunch of people who speak Spanish as mates and, you know, even, you know, if you're Mexican Spanish versus like Spain Spanish versus, you know, Argentinian Spanish, it's actually not like that easy. And there's words, that are different and maybe people don't understand each other. So, but it seems like, yeah, maybe he's not even from a Spanish speaking background at all, which is, uh, <laughs> which is interesting. So there you go. Talking about the game itself. So I, and I think I probably shared a sentiment. A lot of people do after the last couple is that I hope they mix the formula up a bit. Um, now I don't have a long history for Far Cry series. Honestly, I played Far Cry 2 a lot. And it was essentially Far Cry 3 that set the current mould of, of how those games play. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. Far Cry 2 was was amazing, but um, it was obviously they, they chose to take it in a different direction and a successful direction. Like they, they made the right choice, I think. Um, like 3 and 4 are both very well considered. 5 is also considered a very good game, but I think that there were some narrative failings or I guess people had a different expectation of what 5 was um, aiming for. Um, it mm. was very much went towards the the cult leader aspect as opposed to like the white supremacist aspect that I think some people were thinking it would, um, especially given you know if the political environment um, of the last let's say three to four years. But for the only other game that I've really spent any time playing is actually been the latest release, which was Far Cry New Dawn, which I actually quite enjoyed, um, especially in co op. And mm. I think that one thing they should do is expand the, I guess, the puzzle bunker style situation, uh, uh, gameplay elements they had. So, you know, you come across a, a bunker or a hideout and you have to kind of like, it's a bit of a puzzle to figure out how to actually get in there. And that was in five and in New Dawn. So I hope they kind mm. of expand that because I think that was, that was probably my favorite part to playing that game. Um, it was, it was a break from just, you know, mindlessly shooting people and riding vehicles around a big map. So. Yeah, you know, and the thing for me, you know, and just, you know, again, background, you know, I was always sort of a PC gamer, like to play Nintendo stuff as well, but would always muck around on PC stuff ever since, you know, the real old school MS-DOS days, if people even know what that is. But for me, one thing that always put me off Far Cry and, you know, it's kind of sister series, amazingly for a totally different publisher, EA uh, Crisis, to me, they always feel more tech demo-y and look this is probably really unfair like so i'll put my hand up but my my gut feel was always a bit like oh this feels a bit like tech demo-y like muck around sandbox rather than an actual game that has a strong narrative now i'm like you know looking into the series a lot more i can see that that's pretty an un an unfair kind of view on on um the series but you know what one one spin-off of uh far cry that i was really interested in playing was uh, Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon. Yeah. Have you ever actually played that, the expansion pack? Yeah, so it's a standalone, so it's not sold yeah. in expansion. But it's, um, yeah, so I've played it, but I've only played probably the first couple of hours. It 
oh, that's that's great. You know, if if you like any kind of vaporwave synth eighty style, tongue in cheek. Um, I think it had, I can't remember his name, but the guy that played uh, um, uh, in the Terminator. What what's the character's name? Um, the, the the Terminator's hunting down or no, sorry, oh, Reese, Reese, Carl Reese, Reese Connor, it. yeah, Connor Reese. No, I think it's Carl Reese, is it? Carl Reese, Carl <laughs> Reese. We got there. Yeah. We got there. Um, no Wikipedia. Ma- Michael, Michael Barn or Michael Ben or so- something like that. Anyway, he he was playing the main guy in Far Cry Blood Dragon. Uh, yeah, so it was it was great. Um, I, oh, cool. Yeah, and it had um, had some fantastic music in it, as you'd expect. Um, I was also interested in trying out Primal at some point. So that was a one one that I think was based off Far Cry 4's map. I think. Um, so yeah, they, it looks like it just came out after Far Cry 4, yeah. Yeah, so they kind of repurposed the map. Similar to New Dawn, um, it makes sense. Okay, you repurpose the, the map and you set it in a different, like, period. And or yeah. it's kind of, then you get, some people guess, uh, you know, they get a bit of a, like, oh, I remember this section, but it's way different now. Um, mm. So sometimes that can be f- a fine line to walk between, okay, you're reusing assets versus, hey, this makes sense. But Far Cry Primal mm. was always something I was interested in, especially since it, I don't know why, it just felt like it may have been a bit of a close experience to Far Cry 2 in some ways, but um, yeah, I just never took the chance. But out of all of them, I think the one that that I'm most interested in playing is definitely Far Cry 6. I think that this one has a really cool hook to it um, visually, and we know nothing about the game outside of that, really. Mm. Um, you know, the, narr- the narrative that we got in the trailer and whatnot. But I, that's what I said. I hope they mix it up a little bit um, because, you know, they've they've got a lot of open world games. We'll get to one uh, next as well, or two more next at <laughs> we least. Certainly, um, we so I think, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, look, I'm the same. And it's one of those deals where, you know, if I can get it for cheap or if it's along with a subscription pass, it's certainly something I would fire up and play. And I just want to do a quick shout out just on the Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon. And you'll, you'll hear that we'll make a habit of this, but the music was actually produced by an Australian producer in Melbourne called Power Glove uh, for the soundtrack for that game. Yeah, I didn't know Power Glove was actually Australian. I've actually uh, got quite a few of uh, their tracks in my Spotify mm. playlist. So there you go. I learned something. <laughs> there you go. Got to give a shout out. Um, but that's a good segue into uh, another announcement that was in the Ubisoft Ford event, which is definitely Swinney's probably one of his top two most uh, looking forward to games, Assassin's Creed's Valhalla. Uh, so developed by Ubisoft Montreal, it just showcased further gameplay footage. Uh, it was already previously announced. And I really actually enjoyed the design commentary uh, that came from the development team. So, like, what, what were the big things that you learnt from this, this uh, presentation? So this was officially the first reveal of any gameplay. Um, so, yeah, yeah, which is uh, also another thing we'll cover a bit later. So the timeline of this of Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which you're right, it is one of my two most anticipated games, um, alongside Elden Ring. Um, so which we don't know anything about at this stage. It's kind of gone dark a bit. We right? know some stuff, but it's been a while. So we'll we'll get mm. Elden Ring. will have its day many times on this on this for podcast. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> so Valhalla, it was there's a lot of rumors around the. Uh, time that it was being announced and then it essentially was announced via an art stream uh live stream which was really cool um i forget the name of the artist but they're very well known um 
for making a lot of movie posters and things. And I actually sat there and I was watching that live stream. So that's how much I love this series. Um, and yeah, so Valhalla. And then what happened was the um, uh, press was invited to, I guess, closed streaming demos of the game. And someone recorded their stream and it got leaks. Mm. And a lot of, like, we're talking like 30, 40 minute segments of gameplay got leaked. Um, but obviously it wasn't far off from the Ubisoft Forward event anyway. So we got our first look at the gameplay, um, a lot more, I guess, information about the narrative. And as we all knew, would it essentially follows uh, the mold of the last two games. So essentially from or- Origins and Odyssey, basically became action rpgs um they Mm. they essentially have everything you'd expect from an rpg within them they're just obviously you know still linked to the assassin's creed formula somewhat but there's random loot there's stats there's character sheet there's skill trees um like a lot of games do these days but then there's also the narrative choice element and i'm really excited for this because odyssey was probably my favorite Assassin's Creed game. And I, I've i played pretty much every single one of them except maybe some random offshoots. But I, I'm really looking forward to this, although I'm really hoping they balance the narrative side of things really well because um, I, you know, the whole idea of uh, a Viking settlement uh, raiding and pillaging uh, English towns, uh, English villages, but you're meant to be playing as a good guy. So it's like, mm. hmm, this, this is going to be tough. And they've, they've, they've balanced things well before. So I think if any developer is going to be able to do this um, on a big scale, then I think it makes sense that, uh, especially Ubisoft Montreal, no doubt they've probably got about another five other teams handling different parts of it like they normally do, but they're obviously the primary developer. Yeah, and they have this um, back and forth, right? Like this is a this is like a, almost a similar franchise to Call of Duty. I know that they've kind of come come out publicly around trying to not make it so annualized, like Call of Duty is. But you know, you have what Ubisoft Quebec, and then you have Ubisoft Montreal, almost like uh, leapfrogging each other in terms of the new games that are coming out. From what I understand, yeah, and. Obviously, on very surface level, you could look at this game and say, well, it's basically just Odyssey again um, or Origins again. Um, For people that are really into the series, um, we know the differences between the titles and what they bring and what they retain. And sometimes it's unfair, but sometimes it's warranted. You know, like they are very similar in a lot of regards. But the fact that while I won't say Origins was my favorite game, they're essentially essentially a rebooted series, um, Odyssey was fantastic. And if it's, yeah, if they take the good elements of that, um, I think Odyssey had the fact that it was set in like an, you know, ancient Greece going for it. So we'll see whether or not it's going to be as uh, visually um, appealing. Um, I'm sure it'll look great, but whether or not it's got those, you know, good, it hasn't got basically like the Acropolis and really cool, you know, Greek architecture going for it. But there's, um, yeah, in terms of, I guess, some new stuff to the series. So they're introducing siege events, which look pretty cool, where you've got your whole horde of Vikings, um, you know, taking over forts and, and castles, which pretty, looks neat. They're keeping the gender choice um, at the beginning of the game, but apparently they're going to be working it in a lot better into the narrative this time. So mm. I think I heard someone um, say that that means maybe something along the lines of, well, 
the DNA profile that the animus is using to recreate was incomplete, so we don't actually know if they are male or female, but, you know, things like that. Because, um, you know, and just what you're touching on there, it got quite controversial around the choices of gender previously, right? So, yeah, with, um, with Assassin's Creed uh, Unity, the first one on Xbox mm. One, um, they had a central pro- protagonist in it who was male. Then they had a co-op mode, which was actually not too bad, but, you know, a little undercooked. And you could choose essentially from a set of characters, I believe, in that. And But they all had to be male. And they drew controversy back then because essentially it's like, well, they what they said at the time is that they it's it's too much work to animate a whole separate um, female, I guess, character model. Mm. Um, so what then that led to, I would say, sorry, probably didn't lead to it, but it obviously had some influence. The next game in the series, they had the brother and sister, which was Assassin's Creed um, Syndicate, the one that's set in, in yeah. London around like Jack the Ripper time and things like that. So you could play as a brother or sister there. So that was their kind of, I guess, they're like, well, here you go. And when they got all the way to Odyssey, then they suddenly said, well, we're actually, you know, unlike Origin, we could, it's Bayek is, you know, one character that you play as. They said, okay, there's a brother and sister. You can choose which one of them they are. The other brother or sister, you know, the one you didn't choose, is still mm. in the storyline as a very central figure. And that's, re- I think, a really interesting approach. That doesn't seem like it's going to be the approach in this, which makes sense. It'd just be repeating the same thing you just did. But I, yeah, it's, I think it makes sense. I do kind of hope that it's still a really good character. Um, with Odyssey, Cassandra, the female, um, the, I guess the sister character, um, who I played as, was probably one of my favorite Assassin's Creed characters in, in the whole series. So I don't know if Alexios, the, the the brother version, would be the same. So I hope it's still a very strong character. But probably mm. the thing that is most interesting to me, um, although it might be a very small part of it, is that you've got this whole other storyline or the overarching storyline going on of this Layla character who's, um, I guess, a researcher. I can't remember, you know, the best way to describe it, but basically she's the one actually, like, the current world character. And... For, a lo- for the last, for Origins and most of Odyssey, um, her storyline was pretty boring. A lot of people weren't really into it. Um, but they picked up a lot in the DLC packs of, of Odyssey, the last game. So they suddenly actually made that part of the storyline a lot more interesting. And mm. apparently she's going to actually be able to enter the actual like world in this one, um, probably in very small snippets. So that's the first time they've ever done that in any of the games. So I think that's a real neat idea if that's the case and gives her her story more weight as well. But, you know, you're probably never going to get... A lot of people are never going to really trust, I guess, not trust, sorry, um, invest in in that part of it because they just love walking around killing people. So, (laughs) Which kind of does end up happening in a lot of open world games and I'll probably touch on that in the next one that we'll raise... I have to say, like, as you know, because you're a, you know, I'd probably say you're a mega fan of Assassin's Creed. You're not a fanboy, but you're a huge fan of it, and you pretty much played every single one from memory. Yes. Um, and completed all you know, the achievements. And me, I'm not a. <laughs> sorry, what was that? I and completed all the achievements in all of them. So that's just going to show. <laughs> I, fanboy's probably not too far off. 
Yeah, I, I think you're pretty balanced on it, to be fair. I, I Like, you know, I always love to throw you under the bus if I can. But, um, you know, I think you're pretty moderate in, in – you, you love the games, like, a lot, obviously, and, you know, you're a true fan of them. But I don't think you're that fanboy level where you just – you know, you'll see the flaws in the games as well. But from an outsider's point of view, I'm not a huge fan of the series. I feel like it has been revitalized a lot, though, like in terms of just just in the public opinion of the games as well. Like they've always been massive sellers, but I think um, especially with uh, Odyssey, just kind of really captured people's imagination again and maybe just, um, you know, also just announcing around the time off that they're going to have with the game. So there was no game that was released last year. Um, just, you know, kind of giving a bit of space for the series, I think has worked really well, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so I actually think this is going to be pretty massive when this comes out. Yeah, definitely. And I think you've got you've got Unity to blame for that. Um, it was the first game of that of the new generation. There was so much expectation and it was just a buggy mess, an absolute buggy mess. Um, and I was fortunate to play it probably at least a year and a half after it came out. So I got to experience it in a from I guess from the benefit of of not having to go through all that those bugs and everything, um, so I, I'm quite fond of the game. But it's that game that kind of I think soured the public opinion, um, and it took them rebooting everything with Origins to really get back there. So, mm. and then we have um, Valhalla coming out on 17th of November 2020, uh, and also I believe if you have it on Xbox. Uh, one, you will be able to have the version on Xbox Series X for free, like the cross-gen version of it, and I don't believe that that's the case for PS4. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how everything plays out with, um, like, Xbox Smart Delivery, their kind of similar yes. version of that. Um, it's, like, unlike the, last, the change over the last generation where they expected people to rebuy most of the games. Um, I think, I believe Black Flag, Assassin's Creed Black Flag, which was also across both generations, I think you may have gotten a discount, discounted version if you had it on yes. on PlayStation 3, for instance. Um, but it's so much more prominent in in this generational change, this um, games releasing on both platforms. So. Yeah, so I just double-checked. So they've already confirmed that it will uh, support smart delivery. So it, it does create an interesting juxtaposition. You know, if you have it on Xbox, you know, whether Series X will come out by the time this game comes out and whether you can even get a Series X, because I believe that they'll be in short supply, you know, versus getting on PS4 where you definitely would need to buy it again if you wanted to play the full version on PS5. Um, and I feel like that this will definitely be a topic that we'll cover in a lighter news week. Um, just the strategies of the two sides, because it feels like like PlayStation have no interest in supporting like backwards compatibility in the way that Xbox is, you know, where they're already describing it as four consoles in one, uh, which we will touch on a little bit later with the full Spencer segment. Well, uh, but just I'll just say Microsoft, yeah, they've, they've already done that groundwork last gen, so I think they're in a good position to be able to run with it. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll get into that. Yeah. So moving on to another massive open world style game is uh, another item that came up in the Ubisoft Ford event, which was more gameplay, more information about what do- Watch Dogs Legion. Uh, so this is from Ubisoft Toronto, and it was another further deep dive into the game mechanics 
and a lot of the design choices for the team. And something that was linked to this was just around uh, Watch Dogs 2 was actually going to be made available for free if you watched the live stream. And for Australian times, this Ubisoft Ford event, I think it was at like 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. our time. Um, and I, I did actually, <laughs> I was pretty close to going, you know what, I'm going to log in, just like, you know, click the registration button and then go to sleep for what, again. For Watch Dogs 2, really? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a cheap I'm a cheap guy, man. <laughs> if I can get a free game. Um, but, you know, they had a lot of issues with Uplay. So then they ended up actually making it free for anyone for a very limited time. So, uh, you know, it has closed now, so you can't register for now. But it was like for about three or four days afterwards. Um, but yeah, like Watch Dogs Legion, like... Have you played many of the Watch Dogs games in the past? or So, so for as many Assassin's Creed games I've played, um, I've played the exact opposite of uh, Watch Dogs games. I've never played a single one. Um, oh, interesting. But from from my understanding, the first one was was appreciated, but maybe didn't, you know, knock it out of the park. And Watch Dogs 2 was much better received um, and actually considered a pretty, pretty decent game. Um the interesting thing I, f- I find about Watch Dogs Legion is um, the game was delayed. So I can't remember the original release date, whether or not it was actually meant to be out by now or not, or at least, um, you know, much earlier. But this was their chance to kind of, you know, to come back to with everyone with a fresh approach. And mm. I think they kind of fell in the face of it, honestly. In terms of the presentation? Yeah, just with everything. Um, you know, they showed a lot of gameplay, so that's not it. I think that short film they showed at the start, mm, I don't know. It just seems a mess tonally. Um, it's like they... Originally, the, the game was very much... They focused on, oh, it's, it's a post-Brexit world. And honestly... Who even talks about Brexit right now, at least internationally, of course, they're going to probably talk about it a lot more in, in the UK and the EU. But with everything else going on in the world at the moment, Brexit seems like just a, an afterthought at this point. And obviously, they obviously realise that because it, they, I think they shifted the tone. It's a lot more comical than what they originally presented. Um, yeah, I think Watch Dogs Two definitely had that oddball element to it from from memory. Again, I haven't played it, but it definitely didn't take itself seriously in in all regards. But this, I think, them focusing on the granny as a playable character so much just felt like, well, is it is this game <laughs> yeah. like you're kind of treading a bit into Saints Row territory there? And is that is that is that the right balance, you know? Because I could see this game, it probably plays very well. And I like the idea, a lot of the ideas that they're, they're coming into it with, but the tone of it, like that's that's what's going to get me to play the game is does it seem like it's going to be, you know, something I'm, I'm, I can get invested in? And honestly, it didn't sell me on it. Yeah, so like, and I did actually uh, take up Ubisoft on their generous offer to... Uh, get Watch Dogs 2, and I actually installed it and played it uh, for an hour or two, actually. And it's a pretty cool game. Like, you know, I think for me generally those type of open world almost, you know, and this is very reductive, but, you know, that GTA-style game, they're just not super appealing to me generally, like in that style. Um, But in a weird way, I think I was actually more into Watch Dogs than I have been in previous GTA games. Uh, just because, you know, it's a bit of hacking and that kind of like subculture, which is pretty cool. For me, the tone of Watch Dogs 2 
was a bit, um, it was just a bit heavy. Like I'm not an idiot. You don't have to kind of rub in the, you know, oh, corporations are evil and they're doing all these things and, you know, we're the freedom fighters and whether that's, you know, played up at the start then to set up the complexity later, I'm not sure because I didn't play enough of the game to see how that played out. Uh, but I didn't get the sense that it would, uh, you know, develop into something more uh, intellectual. But I, I'm I'm totally in the same camp as you. Like this game was originally meant to come out in early March this year, and it already hit a lot of controversies. It was going to be on the Epic's Game Store, sorry, Epic Game Store um, for the year supposedly and exclusively, which you know many many people were really annoyed about that because you know you know. F- People have their right to how, how they feel, but a lot of people really don't like Epic Game Store because it is fragmenting the PC gaming market. Um, so people were already kind of hating on this game a little bit. And I, I, yeah, I felt like the first time I saw Watch Dogs Legion, I was kind of into it a bit. And then this presentation really got me out of it. I was like, oh, okay. Like I, I was in the same camp as you. It felt like they were trying to reverse engineer things. And you know what, like the world has hit them at the exact wrong time because as as much as Brexit was like such a sort of, you know, topical thing right now, people are just like over and they just want to get past it. And all this COVID stuff that's happening at the moment, you know, like you just don't care about that stuff. So it's really tough. Like I feel like these guys have just been dudded so much by timing. Yeah. And I honestly, if you said, if you gave me the task of, come up for a way to present this game it i think it is it is tricky you know it's definitely not an easy easy task to say well they should have done it like this but i agree that they you know they did try to reverse engineer it a bit and i think they've walked away with less um i guess aff- public affinity than what they had mm. going into it which is not a good thing um it, the game looks like it plays well though so We'll see, I guess, the the proof will be when it comes out. And, you know, it's it's going to sell a bunch. So, you know, I yeah, don't think there's definitely. any problem with that. It's more so is is it going to kind of – is is it going to make an impact to the point where people want to buy Watch Dogs 4? So. Yeah. No, I'm the same. So this is coming out on 29 October of this year on PS4, PS5, Stadia, again, uh, Xbox One and Xbox Series X, and then also PC. You know, I'll probably look at playing Watch Dogs 2 again, potentially, um, and then see if I could, you know, if I could get a good deal on Watch Dogs Legion. It's not a game that I'd play on day one. Um, And I think I'd probably want to hear what people think about it because just for me, the tone of a game is really important. And I just get a bit concerned that they've had to go go back into the game and really try to rewrite some of the narrative, just given how it's going to play out in the current environment, uh, which is unfortunate for them, but that's just reality, I guess. Yeah, and if they if they want to, I guess, show more of the game off in a similar kind of um, you know format, just maybe just like not mention the granny like so much, you know, just kind of just like such... everyone's heard of that whole thing. It's fun, yes. you know, so. You know, it's such a well-made point and it kind of, to me, doesn't show confidence in the team because, you know, the granny thing happened and everyone loved it, but it's like that guy at the party that makes a really cracking joke and then you're at the party next week with him and he makes the same joke and you're like, mate, you know, fantastic joke last week, can't play it out again. Hmm. (laughs) You you need a new joke. And 
I just didn't understand why they brought the granny up again. Like I, I cringed at that part. I was like, oh, are you really going to do this? Like, uh, and they just, that whole thing, and, you know, we'll probably move on in a sec, but that whole thing about you can play as anyone, you can play as anyone. It's like, okay, you know, you know, I don't know. I just felt like it was so overplayed. Like hmm. it just wasn't that interesting to me. I'm like, okay, that's like a one second, one minute thing that you need to mention. Hmm. I just didn't really understand why they kept on harping on about it. I mean, it, from a from a design standpoint, that's a, that's a huge undertaking what they've tried to do. But again, True. it's you've if I guess if the intention of this part of the presentation was to really reintroduce everything and I guess treat it as if people never heard of the game before, then you know you got to mention that stuff again. Mm. But again, like we're you kind of you left everyone with a worse taste in the mouth than when probably they began with it. So. I think for as much as they knocked Far Cry 6 out of the park, I think the they went the opposite with this one. Agree. And and you know what? Maybe they knew that because, you know, the teams and how they structure this. So we, we haven't mentioned this yet, but I thought that the overall presentation was really slick in the way that they did it. So it was hosted, weirdly enough, by one of the PR people within Ubisoft as the host of the event. And they were sort of like flipping in and out of the vision. And I thought it was quite well the way they crafted it. Um, but it did seem like they could have put it in any order. And it's interesting, I believe, from memory, the Watchdogs Legion part was one of the first, or if not the first thing that they mentioned. And then, yeah, they bookended it with uh, Far Cry 6. I think I think it went Valhalla to, to Far Cry, uh, to, sorry, oh. to Watchdogs, I believe. So I think... I don't think so. Anyway, anyway, I, I'm probably... <laughs> well, I'm like, either one, on. either one. Um, so just going through some of the other announcements that were in the Ubisoft forward event, a lot like a lower scale. Uh, so we had hyperscape. So this is also from Ubisoft Montreal, uh, free to play FPS battle Royale. It's in open beta right now. Um, and I think the biggest thing to note about this is the team have been describing this as a, not as a game as a service, but a game as a spectacle. So it actually is going to have Twitch integration. So Twitch chat, can like change the settings of the game itself by voting, which I think is a pretty cool idea. But my perspective, I don't know about you, I just have zero interest in this game, man. Like Battle Royale, apart from something I'll mention a little bit later in the podcast, Battle Royale to me is like, it's done. Like I'm just, I have zero interest in that that genre now. I, The thing I like about Hyperscape, and in saying that, and I'm probably not going to give it a shot, even though... <laughs> You're not even going to boot it up. <laughs> no. Well, the thing is, like, Apex Legends is probably the closest I got to playing one of those games, and I am I just didn't make that jump. But I have heard I have heard a lot about Hyperscape, and I think it's got a very cool look to it. Um, from what I've heard is that it's very quakish in its movement options, like the oh, jump okay. pads and okay. things like that. So... To me, that's what sounds appealing is that it's kind of taking a much more um, almost probably more classic FPS kind of um, approach to movement. Um, and with the whole Twitch integration, um, I don't know the, the full details, but I know that it might be something like, okay, everyone gets unlimited ammo for 30 seconds and things like that, which I think is is interesting. Um, but knowing Twitch... <laughs> They, uh, everyone likes to troll on the internet, and yeah. so they're probably always going to choose the worst option if possible. But um, it's it's a cool idea, and it makes sense in that kind of game to work in 
streaming uh, into it. So, mm. you know, your pitch just then, and you know, I'm a huge, huge, huge Quake fan. I actually spent a bunch of time recently playing uh, the new Quake game uh, that's free to play. But your pitch about saying it's more like a quake mechanic is like, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll actually check this out. Well, that's what I've heard um, from secondhand information. I've, I haven't played okay. it. So yeah. I think it's it's closer than, let's say, your, you know, <laughs> PUBG definitely doesn't play like Quake. Let me just put it that way. No. Um, no. So, but again, like we are probably both the wrong people to talk about any kind of battle royale. But um, I think, I hope it finds an audience because you hate hearing about failures and there's been a lot of failures in that space. Well, yeah. That, and yeah, it's been, um, it's one of the few genres and I'd probably put things like MOBAs in there as well, where there's been so many failures, like just a pure FPS. I feel like if you're making just a pure FPS and getting it out there, like you're going to be pretty successful. Like even there haven't been huge failures, like even games that people perceive as a failure actually sold pretty well, but Battle Royales, just given the the network effects of those type of games and the amount of people you need in them uh, and early as well, like it feels like you either it's feast or famine, right? And I do think MOBAs are a bit like that as well, where it's just like they either just explode like Apex Legends or, you know, like they just fall apart like so many uh, have recently. And I don't know, for me, I just don't hear any hype about this game or buzz and, you know, I... I don't know. It just didn't click with me. I know that you thought it was pretty cool. Well, and I think the graphics look cool, but it just didn't click. And it didn't make me go, you know what? I'm going to install this and have a go and see and how it goes, look, which is not good. They tried the Apex approach, which is, hey, we're basically going to start speaking to the press a couple of weeks before we actually bring this thing out. Um, but obviously it hasn't worked out like that. But the thing is, I'm I'm probably a lot more worried, though, for um, another game, which we're not covering today. Maybe we can cover in a future um episode but a rocket arena that i think that's probably one that's that's very risky and we'll we'll probably maybe um come back to that game in the future yeah definitely agree uh so another news from the ubisoft forward event tom clancy's ghost recon breakpoint is uh receiving an update around enhanced ai features um like is there anything you wanted to add here well uh i Honestly, this is similar to, I guess, um, Watch Dogs. Like, I haven't played any of these games, but I've heard a lot about this particular one. Um, you know, it's a solid game, but I think they pushed a bit too far into the, the RPG world that it kind of put some people off. Um, but mm. they seems like they're making a lot of improvements, and one of them is they're bringing in AI teammates, which were in Wildlands. Um, but from memory, I heard a lot of discussion about that making wildlands incredibly easy because you could essentially just use the ai teammates and the drones to clear out entire bases for you so we'll see whether or not um it that's uh you know a, a benefit or a burden to the game um but i know that it was seen initially as um a bit of a misstep by uh ubisoft and they obviously haven't given up on it yet so that's good to know yeah, and like that's the only thing I wanted to add to it. It was very, very poorly received on launch. Um, but you are actually seeing a lot of examples now in, I'd probably say the last three years of teams going, you know what, we're going to bunker down and actually work hard to improve this. And I think No Man's Sky is now the quintessential example of that. Well, you know, a team that's actually said, you know what, we're going to keep going and going and going until we actually get the game to be what we 
had the vision for it. Either that or Final Fantasy fourteen. Both of them yes. are the two prime examples of we screwed up. Let's and with No Man's Sky, they obviously the game was still there, but Final Fantasy fourteen they took the whole thing offline and basically remade the entire game. Whereas, but with No Man's Sky, it's incredible what that team did to turn their uh, turn it around and they've basically got people excited in what that team does next as opposed to where they were at when that game first came out so yeah and you invest a lot in these games like they're huge teams now there's hundreds of people and you know thousands of hours that are poured into them and often it can be you know what seem to be minor things that need to change and sure it is a lot of development effort but you know, it's a massive thing to turn around a game that's been received really poorly to, you know, actually, and and by the way, you've set now the bar really low. So anything you do to improve it, people go, you know what, they did the right thing and we're not going to hate on them when they go and release another game. And especially being Ubisoft's home studio in Paris, I, you know, you'd feel like there's some connection there with head office because they're right there. Um, that, you know, they'd want to really double down and not make this a complete failure. I don't think that would be acceptable. Um, from a HQ perspective. So, um, and probably one of the last news coming out of the Ubisoft Ford event, uh, and just really quickly, Brawlhalla, it's now coming to mobile. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just not really interested in mobile games like this, like, you know, where you take something that to me should really be a, you know, a console game or a PC game and then bring it into that mobile context. Some people do really like that. And also just this this game, which is, you know, it's a platform fighter in the vein of uh, Smash Brothers, but 2D and a free-to-play as well. It's something I feel like I should be interested in as a big Smash Brothers fan, but it, I just look at the gameplay and it just doesn't seem interesting to me. And just the look of it, I, I don't know, it just doesn't click. Do, do you have thoughts on it? Like, and how do you, how did, have you played it? Uh, I don't believe I played Brawlhalla. I've only played Rivals of Aether, and I guess in in a similar vein. Um, yeah, honestly, I think this is just a matter of uh, let let's see if we can salvage this a bit. Not to say like I'm sure that has a, a strong community. It's been around for a while, um, mm. but mobile seems like for for a genre or a, t- a subgenre that requires well, fighting games in general require yeah. precise yeah. inputs. <laughs> um, you've got to hope that it means, okay, it's coming to mobile, but you're expecting people to actually play with some form of controller because how else? You know, how else do you play that game? Um, you've Even games like your Mortal Kombat's, when they put them to mobile, they're very simplified versions. Um, yeah. So. It, it just seems bizarre to me as an announcement. It's, you know, it remind, reminds me when Stadio launched and they were talking about Mortal Kombat, like you can play Mortal Kombat, and I'm like... I feel like that's just like the wrong game to advertise with it because, you know, people in the fighting game community already hate kind of like online net play. And then you're pushing a game that is, you know, purely in net play world. Like you don't even have a local copy of it. And then, yeah, similar to mobile, it's like, it's all about precision. Like it just seems weird to me. And, and I think the ultimate thing for me is, you know, rivals uh, of ether. Like I'm just so much more interested in that, that game. And when it comes out, on Switch uh, later this year, I believe, in a definitive edition. I'll probably pick it up, actually. Um, and it just, you know, you, there's, I don't feel like there's as much space in the platform fighter uh, genre as there are in other fighting game genres, and you don't really want to be kind of like the second best 
2D platform fighter. I just don't think that's a good spot to be in. But. It is It is good. That, didn't they announce that it's also cross-platform? Uh, sorry, cross-multiplayer. Uh, I forget the term for that. Um, yeah, cross-platform. Cross-platform, so, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, you can play like it. But I feel like that's a disadvantage. So, yeah, you're going to be able to play mobile against people who are on PCs. But it's more in, so, in like, it's... The reason why it's a good thing is just for the online community, just as, as soon as you've got these siloed communities, chances of, of matchmaking, of matching up against someone, you know, the more, the bigger the fool is, the the better for that stuff. But I agree with the mobile part. Um, you'd hate to be a mobile person matching up against anyone that's using controller. But yeah, anyway, I think that's, uh, yeah, that's time will tell if that ends up being a good thing or not. Yeah, definitely. And probably just to wrap it up around Ubisoft Forward, they also mentioned that there would be a second event this year. Um, and they said they sort of framed it as like not too far away. So I'd probably read that in the next quarter that they'll have um, another event. And from memory, there were actually an announcement from Ubisoft. They're saying about like, you know, their AAA game. So think Watch Dogs, uh, Assassin's Creed, etc. There was like, what was it, five or six coming out? And I don't believe they've all been announced just yet. Um, so it sounds like they're going to have some other big announcements around games that are coming out. Maybe a new IP, I hope. I'm always hopeful of a new IP. Yeah, and while I don't think that it's it's definitely, you know, a high chance of it appearing in the next one, but we're, we're, due, for, we're due for news about Beyond Good and Evil 2. Um, it's been oh, yeah, quite a few years right. now. That game mm. was in a state where you thought that they would be ready to continually feed information to um, people about it. Um, and it's definitely the most interesting game outside of Sasuke Valhalla that I'm looking for uh, forward to from Ubisoft. And also, I mean, Skull and Bones. Skull and Bones is a whole different story. Um, potentially they could they could show stuff off there, but it seems like it's being rebooted apparently. Yeah, so that was the next uh, piece of news. So we have VGC reporting on Monday that the Ubisoft Singapore studio is actually rebooting Skull and Bones. So the gameplay in Skull and Bones is inspired by Assassin's Creed Black Flag and other Assassin's Creed games where they have naval battles. It wasn't mentioned at all at the Ubisoft Ford event. Um, and they've actually already flagged that it's going to be delayed and it's going to be in the next, you know, given that Ubisoft is a publicly traded company and they do need to update investors, that they don't expect it to be anything earlier than their financial year starting in April 2021. Yeah, I don't think um, they've talked about that game for about two and a half years or so. It, basically, yeah, and it was meant I believe- to be a small game. It was meant to be like, a you know, a, quite a tight game that, you know, maybe a free-to-play or a here's a, you know, $30, $40 Australian dollar equivalent game. And now it seems like it's going to be a lot bigger. Yeah. And, you know, the the one of the, I guess, potential approaches that has been mentioned is, um, you know, incorporating more live narrative or live storytelling elements similar to what Fortnite does with its seasons. And honestly, I think that's a really good idea. Whether or not that's such a good idea. Whether or not they'd be able to actually, you know, replicate success through that is another thing. You think that Sea Thieves kind of with that emergent gameplay um, hook is kind of best suited for that, but it's it Skull and Bones. I mean, it, it they they wanted to expand Skull and Bones to like TV series and stuff, so they had big plans for it. But obviously, they felt it wasn't where it needed to be yet, and I think that's understandable. Um, it's 
I, I love the naval battles in those games, in the Assassin's Creed games, mm. and it, I don't know if I'd want an entire game about it, but I'm interested to see more. So, Yeah. No, I think, you know, we won't hear about it for probably about a year, you'd say, um, given just what they've kind of committed to and the fact that they haven't even shown any future footage of it or even teased it at this stage. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting and, you know, I... I feel like it's going to turn into a free-to-play game. And to your exact point with, you know, uh, seasons and sort of wrap it up in the narrative in that way. So it'd be, I think it'd be interesting. I, I kind of like a game like that, to be honest. Um, so our next set of news and our final U- Ubisoft news, uh, just given that it's been a lot of news around Ubisoft. And one thing that people were expecting in the Ubisoft Ford event was uh, just a lot of the uh, allegations against Ubisoft and the senior leadership of Ubisoft. So there wasn't a mention of it, and we did have the CEO, um, Eve Gilmo, who um, came along to the Ubisoft Ford event. He had about a two-minute speech, I think, uh, just talking about the games that are coming up and the current situation I guess the world has found itself in. Um, but Ubisoft has to taken action, so three key leaders. So these are you know people who would typically be reporting to the CEO have left the company, and that's also including people who... Um, like including this uh, Serge, who was a chief creative officer, who was one of the leads of the Assassin's Creed series and the Far Cry series. Um, and then also the head of uh, Ubisoft's Canadian studios also has left. Uh, and then their global head of HR. So quite serious ramifications for these executives. Um, and I think it's good that the company is responding in the right direction. And there's been a lot of meme, uh, emails that have going, gone around internally and and, you know, often the reality is that these are crafted with the understanding that they will get leaked and then people will read it. But I think very much the direction is, you know, they're really trying to change from the past, which is, um, I, I, you know, I think as a microcosm of what's happening around the world on this topic is a, is actually a very positive thing. And I really hope there is a significant change in this space. Yeah, and it's also coming on the heels of... Um, there were some previous departures about a month ago from Ubisoft as well. Mm. Um, and I'll, I'll get in my thoughts on that in a second. But the wider, um, you know, I guess, in, like, it's not just in the games industry, obviously, the speaking out uh, movement, you know, which I guess is what you could call like a second wave of the Me Too. Um, and it's, mm. it's these things need to be stamped out. Um, and you obviously hope that you know things are approached in in sensible ways but in the the intention is good um the more opportunities for people to be given voices um when they feel that you know they're unable to do so otherwise is is fantastic um but in mentioning that um with the previous um uh forget i think it's uh, ashraf ismail um uh about a month ago, leaving Ubisoft. Mm. Um, so I believe that was due to like some some allegations around him being uh, cheating on his wife and and whatnot. And that's where I kind of like draw the line a bit. I'm like, hmm, okay. When we're talking about these recent ones, um, when we're talking about actual you know sexual allegations and whatnot. To me, that's very different than when someone's doing something in their personal life, whether or not you consider that um, a, you know, a, a good thing or not. And obviously, it has a huge impact on the way that people perceive them and their character. Um, I will say that obviously, if it was, if there was any other kind of um, element to it, because you don't know the full stories, um, 
Yes. And I believe he stood down. I don't believe he was let go, although obviously there's, I'm sure there's pressure there. Um, if he used his position of power to, you know, then influence and, and lead those situations, and that's very different, um, you know, that directly influences. But it's tricky um, because if someone's just cheating on his wife, then, you know, I don't believe they deserve to lose their job over it, but it, it's tough. It's tough. <laughs> And I think, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it was supposedly the other party um, with someone that they were working with from memory. I bl- I don't think it was just... So I think there was definitely some elements of that, and that's where yeah. um, it it's more so... And I remember reading this on Kotaku as well, is that, um, you know, sometimes some of that stuff doesn't deserve to be news publicly, but... Obviously, it, it gets out there, and if he's left, then that is newsworthy because you know it's it's a pretty big figure. You know, I don't, I can't remember exact title, but he was you know pretty pretty important figure in um, in some of the Assassin's Creed games as well. But it is it is tough, um, and I just I just really hope that we're focusing on the right things. Um, and you know, I guess there's always going to be some things that get roped in as well. So. Yeah. I mean, the the one thing I'd just say on that one is, like, I think you're right. We don't know the full story on it. And, you know, it would not shock me if there was more more to that story. Yeah. You know, because the smart person in that situation, if there was impropriety going on, would leave before it sort of, you know, went further than that. Um, you know, I mean, from my perspective around this whole issue, you know, I work at one of the largest companies in Australia and... Like, I'm actually still really shocked when I, you know, and it is generally female colleagues that I'll chat to, but it's not just exclusively female colleagues, to be honest. Um, I'm just kind of a shock that it still goes on. Hmm. Like, to me, you know, and we're very similar. Like, we're, you know, we're not kind of people that would ever perpetrate anything like this. And it's not even in your mind. Um, but obviously, it is in the minds of a lot of other people. Um, and it just needs to stop. And it's just kind of a no bullshit thing, right? And you know, I actually think it's a great thing that people are coming forward. Um, and I also exactly share your sentiments that, you know, to me, there are really clear black and white things. And there's so many occasions with what people are talking about that are completely black and white. Um, I just get really then worried about two major things, which is where there are the things that are in gray and, you know, things like cheating on your wife, you should not lose your job for that. Now, I don't agree with it. I wouldn't do it myself personally, and I wouldn't really be besties with someone that does that kind of stuff, but that's totally different than people who are assaulting people or creating an extremely um, scary environment to come to work with to the point where people are breaking down because they're just so, you know, nerve-wracked around uh, the bullying that's going on in their workplace. Um, And then the other part is... I, I 100% think, you know, people who speak up, you know, they should speak up. And I, you know, I, I would say 95% of people are telling the truth. Hmm. But we do have a legal system in the Western world that you have to presume innocence. And I think we just far too often see people just go, oh, well, that person's guilty and they're gone. Um, and that's that's not right either. And and that's not saying I don't believe in the person or I don't think there's validity into what uh, someone's being accused in, but, you know, unless they come out and say, yeah, I did it and I apologize and all this kind of stuff, I, I think you do still have to presume innocence. And that's not to say that, the you know, you shouldn't stand people down 
while you investigate, but I feel like that's starting to get lost as well. And to me, that's really scary because that's getting back to very old legal systems that, you know, had been in the Western world, which, you know, it does create very dangerous incentive structures where you're allowing people to just get cancelled, you know, and which is, you know, the term that most people use um, just with it one or two accusations. Like you, you can't get to that world either. Like that, that is not a positive thing overall, I think as well. But, um, you know, just looping back with this Ubisoft thing, I, I think it sounds like they're making all the right calls um, and I really hope they follow up with the action that they're taking around really trying to change the corporate culture because it's not something that will happen overnight. And I I don't honestly agree with severe criticism of them not bringing it up because, first of all, the timeline um, of, of events meant that would probably require... It, it would probably be, I guess, um, it would be like added in really awkwardly because obviously, you know, the, a lot of that stuff is pre-done and pre-filmed. But there's a lot of legal um, problems to deal with with that stuff. And it's honestly, I don't think it was the right kind of event to to kind of address it. You know, I think we've in the case of, I don't know if it was last year, things have gone. So time is just like bent at the moment. It's yeah. so weird. But the whole blizzard um, Yes, that's exactly what I was say, so. <laughs> I, I think that's yeah. at the level when when that play got banned for the the free hong kong um like message on um was it oh what was the game was it hearthstone um or or it was it was obviously a blizzard game uh like i think it was a hearthstone yeah. Play, yeah so i think that's at the level and the level of outrage over that was so massive that they needed to with this one i think it just didn't you know if it was if that event was due to come out, let's say, in a week's time, I think then it probably makes sense because I also would have been able to sort all of that stuff out internally. Um, but I've I've got the, the perfect solution for all this stuff anyway. You talk about, you know, like old-time, uh, you know, legal systems. I, I think we need to solve this stuff by trial by combat. <laughs> I was watching Life of Brian recently. Just you know, throw him into the the arena and see see if they can sort it out. You know, a hundred Twitter trolls, Twitter eggs versus uh, the combatant. Um, you know, like I'm probably even more extreme than you. I look. The thing is, you know, ultimately these are either private or public companies. They can choose what they do, and I fully respect that people disagree that they should bring it up. Um, but I think strategically, and you know, I always probably come more from a corporate perspective. That's just my brain. <laughs> but the reality is that, you know, we're we're deep into this stuff. We we live and breathe it. A lot of people, and I'll probably almost say the majority of people that will hear this news and then, you know, because this isn't just watching this, it's you know, we watch it, we might mention it to someone. You know, there's a big sort of like cascade that happens. A lot of people don't know about a lot of this stuff that's happening with Ubisoft and, you know, even Blizzard like back then. And, uh, you know, from a style and how you present it and what you do, I don't think it flows and I don't think it makes sense. And I don't think you can do it in a way that really, like it is such a delicate and difficult high wire to walk across to successfully navigate that, land well, and then get back onto the show in the tone that you want it to be in. And I just don't think it's worth it. And 
look, the thing is, you know, like I work with a lot of the senior folk who do these type of things within the company that I work in. Look, like there's a reason why they came out with the article or, you know, they didn't come out with the article, but they would have planted it with reporters around the leadership changes they made at the same time. You know what I mean? Mm. Like they've gone, hey guys, we're getting rid of these three people. We're changing how we're running things internally, send out an email. And then we have our Ubisoft Ford event. So they can go, hey, we've covered it. We just haven't put it into the show. And I still think Blizzard should have done a similar thing. You can you can do it with, you know, just the specificity of that's the topic you want to cover. This is what we've done. We've stuffed up. Own it. We want to get better and let's get on I think the it. scale and of that one, though, was it had grown to the point where it was impossible to ignore. They They made a lot of strategic errors in how they handled that. Like, to be honest, like, and, you know, this is like old news, but... You know, they're they're a company, they can make choices about what they want and what they don't want. And I think the reality is people don't want to admit that China is now the number one most powerful country in the world. And if they don't come to the table with China, like they're going to be in big trouble as a company. Right. That's just a reality right. that we're living I reckon with. that is a topic for future discussion. <laughs> uh, okay, definitely. Also, <laughs> we'll add it to the list. This is the, the uh, inaugural episode. We don't want to drive too many people away. Uh, <laughs> True. So I reckon we move on from Ubisoft. Yeah, well, that does wrap up our Ubisoft <laughs> hour. Um, so the next headline that we had was around the Xbox 2020 event. Uh, has been announced. So this is at Thursday, 23rd of July, 9 a.m. Pacific time, 5 p.m. British summer time. And then for our time, some uh, Australian Eastern Standard time, it's the next day at 2 a.m. So the Friday, the 2 a.m., so the 24th of July. First thing I want to ask is, are you going to get up and watch this? Uh, sorry, what? Uh, so 2 a.m.? Uh, 2 a.m. our time. Yes, I will. Uh, I usually do. It's an awkward time, man. If it's like, if it's midnight or 1 a.m., I'm almost guaranteed I'll watch it. 2 a.m.? Honestly, I, you know the- I'm often still up at 2 a.m. anyway, so... Um, True. I Yeah, I <laughs> will, and this is this is their chance to redeem themselves. Um, the last event, the 2020, um, kind of stunk the room a bit. I wouldn't say it was a complete failure, but they missed what they needed to, which um, they... There was a big mess of communication um, errors going on, whether or not it was from Microsoft directly or from uh, publishers. But the fact that they showed almost 0% actual gameplay when (laughs) I almost expected that they'd show nothing but gameplay, um, or at least a a mix of, 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 you know, like pre-rendered stuff and things like that. Um, So they've said that um, they're going to be showing uh, Halo Infinite. Um, they're going to be showing Psychonauts 2, which we've seen before, but this is going to be now Psychonauts 2, um, I guess, possibly reworked slightly under the Microsoft banner. Um, and I love the first Psychonauts. Uh, Halo Infinite has a lot of potential. Um, I'm a bit behind on the recent games. I think the last one I played was Reach. But um, I, if there's any titles that could probably get me back into playing, especially multiplayer, it might be Infinite. Yeah. And uh, it's. I'm hoping... Um, Honestly, I'm really hoping Elden Ring makes it here because Elden Ring was announced in the Microsoft E3 last year. So they've kind of already got a link to them in their, I guess, promotions. So I'm really hoping we say something. We probably won't, but that's my that's my kind of, you know, like, please, please show us what Elden Ring. So I, I'm going to say that they have to. 
I'm going to say they, they need a banger in this. So, you know, you skew more Xbox. I probably skew more PlayStation, but I, I flip and flop. Like I was an Xbox 360 gamer. I did have a PS3 as well. Um, but you, you definitely skew more Xbox. I don't. And, you know, when I watched the last showcase, I can't remember what it was called. Man, I was like, this sucks. Hmm. Like, oh, like it just, the way they framed it, the way that they said, you know, I was expecting, okay, it's going to be, this is what the games are going to look like, but it was all cinematics and it was just real, real messy and clunky. And, you know, the reality is like, that was pretty bad. I think that wasn't received well at all. I think the launch and the the reception around the actual Xbox Series X itself uh, device and, you know, the reveal and everything, I think that was really positive. But I do think PlayStation's got a lot of momentum recently and we'll cover some new news with PlayStation, but I feel like they've got a bit of a, a buzz around them again. Um, and I really think that they need to bring some of that back. And, you know, I think just around the framing of this event, I think they've done a really good job quickly responding to the community and, you know, the Twitter sphere, what they're chatting about it. They're like, oh, you know, are they going to reveal, you know, Lockhart? So, you know, most people are calling that Xbox Series S, the sort of cheaper version. Um, but you know what? Like, I think this is really smart, but Xbox head of marketing, Aaron Greenberg, has already come out saying, hey, guys, there's going to be no business, no devices, nothing like that. It's just going to be games and it's going to be an hour. And I think that's really smart, you know. Hmm. You've probably seen more companies do it recently, and I think they'll do it even more, just not letting the hype get too out of control. But I do feel like they need to have something in this that grabs people. And I think Elden Rings would be the one for me. I can't think of anything else unless it's some real left field thing. Yeah, and the it might not be this one, but um, there is the, the long, long rumored um, Playgrounds game a playground games fable game that's it's almost just waiting for them to announce it at this point um that would be a a real real good thing to announce in this particular one um and the thing is i've with the last event um it to me was a it was a rare misstep in recent uh microsoft history um, a lot of what they've done, the way they've approached to announcing the Xbox One X, uh, sorry, Series X. God, the name is horrible. <laughs> the name is like, yeah, again, like there's a lot of these topics we come across, but because I do want to go through namings of consoles and stuff, but goddamn, the Series X is terrible. The naming, like I think the, the way they, they show the hardware, they, you know, the way. Yeah, great. Up, Fantastic. A lot of that great. And then they, they stunk the room on this, that one. So this is their chance. And that last event was also coming off the heels of a very lackluster um, GDC, non-GDC presentation by Mark Cerny, who was... Oh, yeah, uh, that's right. That's not what people were wanting. And it was also just... It, it's like they they were following on from that and they they almost did something worse. So it's kind of... Wow. <laughs> they did do something worse. And, you know, another good example of framing... So uh, in the defense of the Sony stuff, they never framed it like it was going to be anything more than it was. Like they literally said, it's going to be one of the GDC talks, but they're just going to release it. Uh, but it was really confusing for most people. I loved it personally. I, I wish we were podcasting there because I could have gone on for hours about it. Um, but yeah, they, they've got a big opportunity here. And, you know, I think Xbox is doing a lot of smart moves and just going into the next news item, 
we, you know, we have Phil Spencer announcing that Project X Cloud and Game Pass are going to get integrated in a blog post that they've put on uh, Xbox site. And I, I think a lot of the things they're talking about, it's really smart to me, you know, because like I'm always a bit on the fence with these consoles, you know, because Nintendo is often its own universe. It's on a different like axiom, right? It's just, it's doing its own thing. So you can have a Switch and a PS4 or a Switch and an Xbox, you know, one, it, that makes sense. But to me, you know, having both, you know, PS4 and also PS5, sorry, a PS4 and a Xbox One is a little bit weirder. Um, but I think they're doing a lot of smart things if, uh, like with Xbox. And I think, you know, the lead with Phil Spencer has been quite smart. Um, were there any other things that sort of jumped out at you in terms of what they've announced just recently with the blog post and some other posts? So with the xCloud and Game Pass, that that was that was very expected. So it's good to for them to confirm that. Um, while it's probably not going to be in Australia for a while, I'm very, yeah, very keen like to try xCloud because I, I already stream, um, well, not so much in recent times, but I have quite a bit in the past streamed my Xbox to, um, let's say, a tablet um, or a, a laptop. I've done that quite a bit. And the fact that, that will you'll be able to potentially even stream, use your console as an actual, like, streaming server as well is part of that whole xCloud, um, I guess, uh, thing that they're offering. And obviously the whole Stadia-like approach of, okay, you're streaming games from their data centers, that's obviously the main part of that. Um, so it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see how that all comes together. Um, they recently... They've recently taken the Xbox Live 12-month subscription off the marketplace and have confirmed that wasn't a mistake. Um, so a lot of people are speculating that they are going to roll Xbox Live into the whole Game Pass price model, which at this point, why wouldn't you? Um, game yes. Games with Gold is, um, I'm surprised, hasn't been phased out already. Um, I think they're kind of just... just continuing that until they could have everything in place to make these kind of announcements. Oh, and you know what? Like there's contractual obligations as well. Um, so if you've subscribed for 12 months and you have an understanding, you're going to get decent games, you know, every month, you know, that, that just has to continue. Like it's going to be a big issue if they don't continue it. Um, and I think you're hundred percent spot on and everyone, everyone's analysis around it they're going to integrate these things and to me this is the most compelling thing about xbox you know i i actually came so context is i don't have an xbox one x i had a 360 but i don't have a one x or one um but i actually came pretty close just because the whole deal you get when you've like signed up to the full sort of game pass game to gold all that kind of stuff it's a pretty decent deal. Like, there's just a lot of games on there that you're like, oh, yeah, I might jump on and play that. Like, it's, to me, the best deal in gaming. It's a, apart it's from a ridiculous... the free games that come out with Epic Game Store. <laughs> like, that's definitely the best it, deal in gaming. It's it's a ridiculous um, amount of, I guess, bang for your buck. And I I kind of wish that... I, I, I like playing a lot of RPGs, right? And also, like, playing games for achievements and when you combine those two it means that a lot of the time that i'd set aside for gaming is a, a, i guess playing things that take a lot of a long amount of time and i sit there looking at the game pass games and I'm like oh my god there's so many games on here you know mm. it's it's crazy and 
the fact that you know they will add a lot of new brand new releases, not just Microsoft Studios ones, which all of them go on there, which is crazy. Um, but just you know, brand new like CrossCode. You know, we're going to mention some of this stuff later, but um, is it's not a brand new game, but it's coming to consoles f- for the first time, um, like Switch and Xbox, and that's straight into Game Pass. That's just that's crazy, and I I really hope that the price model is sustainable. Um, obviously, it's been for a while now, so if it wasn't, then it wouldn't still be around. But I really hope it ends up being worthwhile for the developers themselves, um, that especially for new release, they don't miss out on on the sales. They get the exposure though, and they obviously get they do get money for it. Um, I just hope it ends up working out in their in their benefit. Well, and, you know, on this, like, this is definitely a topic for another podcast, um, you know, and probably the viewers who are listening along, it's like, oh, my God, there's, like, many topics that we're going to cover, but if there are, um, you know, you do, from a business perspective, which is normally how I look at these type of things, I, I think it's a super interesting part of the market and what they're doing. And, you know, actually, a lot of these companies, they're not actually trying to necessarily create a GTA Five. A lot of them, it's more about stability in their revenue streams and the way that this is structured with Game Pass. And then, you know, I feel like it's almost inevitable what they're doing around, you know, whatever they call it, but your Xbox Pass or whatever it's going to be. It actually then creates a hell of a lot of stability for these studios where they have a lot more confidence in what they're doing. And they probably can actually go off and do a few things that are a bit more experimental, which to me will eventually bring more people in rather than less people in. Um and the other thing that they've uh, confirmed, Phil Spencer, is just around all of their Microsoft Studio teams, at least for, I think he said for the next couple of years at, at a minimum, that they're going to release day and date for free, quote unquote for free, but as part of the Game Pass itself. Um, well, that's- and that they're also going to be on like one X or like Xbox One and also Xbox Series X. Yeah, so which that, I think is just like first, a smart thing to do. Right? That first part's been the case for uh, since Game Pass. So yeah, sure, but I'm just saying that they're reconfirming that hey, this is going to continue, right? Because yeah. that's there's no guarantee that they're going to do that, right? You got the, a new console launch, right? Like you could make some serious bang hmm. for your your money there by not doing that which I was kind of thinking that they weren't going to do. I know that like they've already announced some of them, but the fact that he's already committed them to that, yeah. I think it just shows they are really trying to go for service the way, over, the way they, you know. The way they worded that back in the day, though, would be very, very detrimental to go back on. Um, like it was almost such a solid commitment to it, but it is good to hear that it's confirmed again. Um yeah, but with with the whole games working on the Xbox One uh, platform as well as the Series X, that's I, I don't know. I'm very torn on that. Um, as it's what you hope is, it doesn't um, hold back the potential of the of the games um, because the Xbox One is still a very powerful platform. But obviously, when it compares mm. to these new platforms, it's it's nothing. Um, especially when we're talking about games that are potentially built to utilize these um, SSD hard drives, you know, especially the way that PlayStation is approaching it. Um, You know, there's a lot of games like that, um, uh, the Ratchet and Clank game, you know, that 
there, there is no way that that game could work on an older platform with the way that they're kind of designing that game. So you really hope that the way they're saying this is going to work is that it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't hold them back. Well, and, you know, and I think one thing that we're going to do here is go well into the minutia on everything, um, which is just like, I think, our style. Um, but, you know, even on your point that you just made then around uh, Ratchet and Clank and, you know, really leveraging the SSD, and I feel like there's a lot of buzz about the SSD on the PS5. Like, they've done a great job in marketing that, and it kind of reminds me of a real throwback of, like, blast processing with the Mega Drive slash Genesis, where it's really like nothing, to be honest, but it was a bit of marketing. One thing I noticed a lot in the blog posts on Xbox.com, uh, the one that we're referring to with Phil Spencer is, you know, they kept on mentioning the SSD. Like, it was like, I've never seen them mention it so much I mean, until um, it's definitely, this article. It's definitely been a, a, a focus for them from the beginning. Um the oh, but the dude, like they they mention it a lot more than they normally do. Mm. Like it was to a point where I was like, "Oh, this is like kind of funny." I don't know. I I think it's always been that prominent, honestly. Um, mm, okay. I I think that it it's much more from from my understanding that you know the fact that Sony's going very proprietary with that stuff um, means that they're probably going to end up having the more technical technologically, I guess, impressive um, implementation of it. But I just think back to those first um, when they were working with Digital Foundry and I guess the articles that were coming out around then, SSD was very, um, that was almost one of the only known things that we knew about the whole platform is that it would incorporate that. Then they started talking about the smart delivery. Then they started talking about um, the backwards compatibility. So I definitely think that, because essentially, I mean, they, they even had those videos where they're showing State of Decay and the load times and they're comparing State of Decay on Xbox yeah. One versus, you know, the load time on the SSD. But, um, but yeah, I maybe maybe they have ramped it up more. Um, but, yeah, I definitely think it was... It's definitely always been a prominent uh, talking point for them. Mm. And, and, you know, they're saying that the Xbox One X versus the Xbox Series X... It's what, like two to four times more powerful, quote unquote, from a GPU rough kind of like thinking about it perspective, right? Oh, if you say so, I don't, I, I, no, no, I don't I, know I, the numbers, but um, there's from from memory, it is it's a beast. That's all I know. It's a beast, and the, and yeah. the One X is already a beast, like in the consoles, you know, uh, frame of reference. So. Yeah, oh, here it is in their own uh, blog post. They say it's four times the processing power of an Xbox One X, the Series X. But to your point about them running like on an Xbox One, it's they're not saying Xbox One X. They actually said Xbox One. Yes. So, but then the One X is around four times more powerful than a One. So. Like you're talking about a 16 times differential, and now you know the maths is not exactly like that, but it's it's going to be like poles apart the Xbox Series X versus an Xbox One. Yeah, and they're saying the games have to run on Xbox One. I just look the thing is, it, it's going to definitely hurt the games that are coming out. It, it can't not. Yeah, I think to do it with a title like Halo, whatever that 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 makes sense. It's a flagship title you want to kind of capture the audiences on both platforms, but to, yeah, to kind of focus on, on that much of it, but we'll see, we'll see how it all plays out. Yeah. 
yeah, and we'll cover it in uh, next week's episode. We'll have our reflections on what they've announced. And yeah, I'm hoping that they have some bangers in there. I always love when there's some hype around a new game that they're announcing. Uh, so moving on to our next item, which is like really, like I feel like very underplayed news. But, um, you know, recently as part of Half-Life Alex, there was actually an interactive storybook that came out called Half-Life Alex Final Hours. Cost about 15 Australian dollars. Is it, um, sorry, is it VR of, or? Uh, I think you can play a VR and non-VR okay. from memory because like in my Steam, I don't know VR registered and I think I could download it. I was actually tempted to buy it. Um, but they had a lot of uh, interesting tidbits in this and we've extracted some of it from IGN. Thanks, IGN. Um, and it was presented by Jeff Keighley, the storybook. But to me, like the headline revelation was really that Half-Life 3, and that's what they referred to it internally, was in production uh, for about a year in 2013 to 2014 and then subsequently cancelled. And it seemed like part of it was due to where the Source 2 engine was at and then maybe the concept itself just wasn't really like engaging them. And it sounded like they were drawing a lot from Left 4 Dead and doing a lot of procedurally generated elements to the storytelling. They really wanted it so you could re- replay it. But to me, this was like absolutely huge news what, and really interesting. What a weird, wasn't really covered that highly. What a weird way to kind of get to put that information out. Um, I guess it gets people potentially wanting to purchase this little storybook game thingy. True. But it's, yeah, and honestly, look, I, I trust Valve would you know, know how to, to implement things like that. But I'm kind of glad that didn't work out because um, I... <laughs> yeah, same. Half-Life is all about finely crafted sequences yeah. and um, the games are always linear. Um, as much as there was a couple of moments of Far Cry 2 where you could, you know, move around a larger environment, um, they're always linear. And I like that about Half-Life. Not every game needs to kind of, you know, be an immersive sim and it's yeah it's very strange but i reckon this is probably one that that's probably happened about three or four times um in that time span and this is the one that they felt, felt comfortable maybe mentioning um no yeah. doubt they would have would have started um you know some some initial work on a form of half-life 3 whether or not and it's already by the way if um if you didn't know uh there's um there was another i guess half life episode 3 or like something codenamed ravenholm was also in production yeah. um from arcane studios and there's a the um no clip documentary um channel on uh, youtube has a, a great look into arcane studios that talks about ravenholm so it's interesting that um you know that's another half life project that got cancelled during a similar time frame but yeah it's very strange and with episode three, it was very much... So Half-Life 3 itself, it was never really indicated there's going to be Half-Life 3, but the intention was there was always going to be episode three. Like, the, I think from memory, they actually publicly said that, and then it never eventuated. Yeah, and it's it's a shame because Half-Life episode two was, to me, the best that Half-Life has ever been. And mm. to not have, a, I guess, a follow-up to that for so long is a shame, but... Oh, well, that's the way things go, isn't it? And for me, and, you know, like just quickly to cover it, uh, you know, like some of the larger ones that I think came from it as well was Left 4 Dead 3 uh, was cancelled 
during development, they were making an RPG inspired by Dark Souls slash Monster Hunter. And there's a stack of VR projects that um, that they were in production on. Like for me, a couple of things. Valve, I believe, are the closest company to Nintendo from a philosophy perspective. They do not like just churning out the same game. I think it's like that Miyamoto idea around how can you throw something interesting or new at the character or the player, uh, put them in a different gameplay element. And I think, you know, you can see that even from Half-Life to Half-Life 2, you know, the gravity gun, and there's a lot of stuff that they did with the second game to actually bring it to life in a very different way. Then they went on to make the episodes. So they were actually talking about it being like, hey, why why make a full Half-Life 3? Why don't we just chunk it down into chapters and release it like it's a tv show or a serial like that was the initial intent of it so i've always felt like valve to me you know even the fact that their their company really is steam now like how odd you know i feel like so many other companies could never do something like that but valve to me philosophically have a lot to do with nintendo and how they think about uh their company and the way they run it um but the other thing that really to me went under the radar with everyone is they've also sort of, you know, in, in chatting with various media outlets, let people know that they've actually changed the way their management structure works inside of Valve itself. So just to give you the context there, Valve historically was very obsessed about T-shaped employees. That's where people have very strong skill sets as a base and then have an expertise that they've, you know, the, the stalk of the T where they've, you know, the best in the world at something. And then their view internally is you should be able to work on any project. You pick the project that you find interesting. So they've run the company like that for about 10 to 15 years, but they've said that they actually have changed that about three to four years ago. They actually made a shift internally to move away from that approach and be a bit more directive around known, you know, this team here, are you interested in working in a VR game? Yes. Okay. You got to work hard on it. And, you know, with Half-Life Alex, it started off as just its own standalone VR game. And then they're like, you know what, it's more interesting if we bring it to the Half-Life universe and then, you know, built out a lot more narrative around it. So for me, I'm really interested to see if we see a lot more production out of the games side of of, uh, Valve and especially in areas where I'm more interested in versus the MOBAs and the auto chess and all those type of games that they're releasing. Oh, definitely. I'm... Very keen to see if they will eventually make a follow-up to Team Fortress, honestly. Uh, Team Fortress 2, I should say. Yeah. Yeah, that would that would be really sick. I was a huge fan of that game. Uh, so moving into some business news. So we have Sony has actually bought a $250 million investment into Epic Games. Uh, so this was in a joint statement from Business Wire. Sony and Epic announced the investment in the minority stake into Epic it's kind of interesting news, actually, because it, it, it's relatively, you know, it's not huge, huge dollars. Um, because, you know, when you're looking at valuation, we're talking 1% or 2% that Sony owns now of Epic. Um, but I actually think this has got to do more with business culture in Japan. Um, and, you know, th- this is quite a quite a thing that happens specifically in Japan of buying into companies that you you perceive that you're working closely with. So there's a lot of this cross ownership between companies and given all the stuff that's happening around Unreal Engine, the revenue share model there, you're starting to see stuff on the Epic Game Store. You know, I think there's something interesting going on here and it's going a bit under the radar with people. 
I wonder if we will start to see um, if that means that we'll potentially see some Sony first-party titles get PC ports directly to the Epic Game Store because you've got Horizon Zero Dawn getting a PC port. And I wonder if that is potentially something that happened in the future. Now, as you said, it's a very small stake. Um, Epic has their hands in so many pies at the moment. Um, obviously, so many of their ga- uh, games use that engine and they're on multiple platforms and, and everything. But I just wonder, is is that potentially got something to do with it? Oh, and, and that's exactly where I was going with it. You know, the fact that you've got Horizon Zero Dawn, the complete edition, it's coming out on Steam and other platforms, but, you know, there is a fragmentation that's happening in the PC market. And I know, you know, I'm a PC, I love PC. The reality is from a business perspective, it doesn't make any sense that Steam gets everything. Like from a pure economic point of view, it makes no sense. Um, And, you know, I just think Tim Sweeney and the team at Epic have observed that, understood it, haven't liked it themselves, number one. Um, and I think, yeah, they're looking to work with Sony and Sony is loves exclusives, loves to lock things down, similar to Nintendo. And I, I'm on the same wavelength as you. I think that they're, they're going to try to set something up where they actually want to, you know, have exclusives coming exclusively to the Epic Game Store. And then maybe as a side effect of that, have a better revenue share model with Unreal Engine. Hmm. So I, I think that's a really interesting thing, and it's I think it's a watch this space. I think it will play out over the course of the year, depending on how it flows. Uh, but I think that's going to be a pretty interesting one. Uh, and in other business news, we have Microsoft expressing interest in buying WB Games, uh, the NetherRealm Studios, Avalanche Software, and I believe from memory, this is also a lot of licenses that these teams actually own. Is that your understanding? Yes. Yeah, so when we're talking about WB Games, um, there's also any... They obviously make a lot of titles based on WP properties, so DC properties. Um, we've got, you know, obviously the Batman Arkham games. Um, you've got the very heavily rumoured Suicide Squad game being made by, I think it's Rocksteady. Um, and, mm. of course, you've got NeverRealm Never Studios. Now, if Microsoft is interested in buying... Um, WB Games, NeverRealm would be a huge, um, I guess, you know, get for them. Um, not to say that means that Mortal Kombat would become Microsoft exclusive, but hey, they would have the studio. And yeah. that's that's a great counter to, you know, um, the fact that PlayStation's always been seen as the fighting game console. Um, with the exception of Killer Instinct. And it's, I think that would be a huge thing for them. Um, And, but when you've got like Avalanche Software, um, they're working on a lot of, like they've worked on a lot of Disney titles and things like that. So you've potentially got a a developer there that can also handle a lot more of, um, I guess, family games. Um, Not to say that they obviously can't do other things, but that's their kind of their background. And that Toy Story 3 made game they made for 360 was, and, PS3 was uh, actually a fantastic game. So, but um, mm. yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens here. Um, again, another wait and see to see if that actually pans out. Um, Microsoft is buying a lot of stuff up. So, yeah, and and whether you know, and linking it into the next item around Tencent uh, looking to buy Leiu, um, another holding company which owns uh, studios including Digital Extreme, Splash Damage. 
and you know as you've pointed out in our notes uh you know sony looked like it was going to be a buyer but maybe that's changed there is a lot of activity and a lot of m a activity in the gaming market as it's it's sort of you know you know winding the clock back to when this generation came about so this is the ps4 and xbox one a lot of people were like gaming like console gaming is dead you know hey mobile gaming's taking over you know the production numbers of these consoles were so low you know people did not think that they were going to sell and it you know history has obviously said that that's completely wrong hmm. um and one thing that's happening is a lot of these chinese companies that are going you know from a perspective of they have huge bank balances and for them this is nothing buying out these studios it's happening quite a lot you know there's been a lot of investments from chinese companies into epic games you know, other other big uh, publishers and developers out there. I wouldn't be surprised if WB Games is somehow picked up by a Tencent as well. I know that, you know, certainly Microsoft seems to be the one sniffing around and, and for sure AT&T, they're looking to get rid of it from their portfolio. It doesn't make sense for them. Uh, so it is going to go somewhere. But, yeah, where it lands is going to be quite interesting. Definitely. Um, so moving away from business news, uh, the Devolver Direct. Uh, so one of the fallout from not having an E3 is not being able to have Devolver's very tongue-in-cheek, uh, quote-unquote, E3 presentations, although I believe they've never actually been as part of E3 itself, as the official part of E3, even though I think it's one of the cornerstones now of E3. Oh, it's so, it's and they did, so good. They did it's some so amazing good. things this year. Oh, my. Well, yeah. And I, look, you know... <sighs> Uh, you know, a lot of people love their humor. I'm not the biggest fan of it ever. Like, I'm not a huge fan of ironic and it's ironic that it's ironic type of humor. But I I, I get it. I, and I'm not saying it's not funny. It just doesn't click with me as well as it does with other like people. Me. But to be honest, what they did this year, I actually, I tipped my fedora off to them. They've actually gone and created a game. And I saw it on Steam when I was like logged into Steam whenever it was like a week ago. Uh, that you can actually play, and it sort of looks at the dilapidated ruins of E3, and you know it's, it's pretty amazing. I don't know. Did you have a chance to download it? Uh, I believe it's. I, I wish I had. Um, I watched the trailer. It was. It was looked great, and it's such a it's such a good marketing tool um, when you think about it because yeah. they they have the games that they announced as like exhibitions in the actual game itself, and I mean. When I say announced, um, some of these games were already announced, but they they showed off Shadow Warrior Three. Those games are great. I played through the first one, uh, the first of the newer Shadow Warrior games. Um, I haven't played the second one yet. I, I think I got it for free somehow, but I've got it. Um, series Sam Four, which that series has always been just you know fun, fun uh, mindless shooter, and uh, that Fall Guys little battle royale game, which actually looks really really cool. Um, it's mm. like Battle Royale in as much as, I guess, Tetris is Battle Royale. It's not a shooter, but it looks it's taking the approach of, obviously, 100 people start and then one person wins. So I think that looks great. But, yeah, that uh, it's called the game. I think it's called Devolverland Expo. Um, so yeah, check it out. If right. uh, I don't know if it's only going to be up for a certain amount of time. Um, hopefully it's not even down now. But it was, uh, yeah, I think a cool thing. Yeah, it looked really, really cool. I, I thought it was awesome uh, and extremely creative from the team. I, I'm sure for them, you know, because all of these teams, you know, from a marketing budget point of view, 
E3 is really critical. And I feel like almost for Devolver more than anyone, you know, it's really critical for them to have E3. Um, I just checked that now, yeah, it's still live. So, you know, but you might want to jump on and get it quickly before it drops off if you do want to check it out. Um, but I thought, you know, it was such a fantastic marketing move. So I really tip my hat to them and Shadow Warrior 3. Like, I, you know, again, the whole point of marketing is to get eyeballs to your product. For me, I don't think I at all would have known about Shadow Warrior 3 if it wasn't for this event and what they did. And I checked it out and I'm like, it, it looks like a, a samurai slash ninja doom, doom eternal type oh, game. Did you ever play and the like, original Shadow cool. Warrior? So I didn't play the remake, but the original, yeah. the OG 1997, yeah. yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that era of gaming, I probably played most of those major games that came out, especially first-person shooter games because I was a massive Doom slash Quake fan. So I actually got this game for free recently on uh, uh, GOG, Good Old Games. Um, and I think it might still be free on Good Old Games, so you might want to check that out if you want to get Shadow Warrior. Uh, so moving on. Really, really cool news. And again, you know, it's it's fallen into the same band of this was actually leaked beforehand, but uh, there's a really cool uh, Nintendo Entertainment set of Lego coming out shortly. Uh, pre- pre-orders are starting on the 1st of October, and it's going to retail for $350 Australian dollars, which is about $220, US and uh, British pound. What, what did you think of this set? The, I, I love... The actual uh, NES console and the controller. TV thing, hmm, not sold on that. You know, it's cool that they've... Oh, really? cool that they've figured out a wow. way to make it interactive. But I'm more interested in building something that looks like something I like, not an old TV. Oh, man, that's so funny. I actually... Almost the opposite. Like, sorry, not the opposite. I love... This thing is so cool, and it's, for me... You know, like it's probably more in the camp. Can I get it? Yeah. Should I get it? Oh, I'm just like, I don't need another thing like this, but I'm pretty damn close to pre-ordering this, I have to say. Um, to me, this might be my Millennium Falcon um, from a Lego point of view. It's just like, oh, I couldn't even think of something that is more iconic from a gaming perspective. And I love the TV. I thought it was great. And I thought, you know, we should uh, just say that. So, you know, it's a very 70s, Probably, would you say late 70s, early 80s style TV, you know, wood paneling style, you know, big legs. Um, And what they've done is to, you know, make it interesting. There's actually um, a a section from uh, World 1, Level 1 of Super Mario Brothers, the original 1985 game, and you can rotate it. And when I saw that working and, you know, you've got like a little stick figure of Mario almost, you know, jumping through the level... To, you know, it's funny how we had totally different reactions. I was like, that really even sells it more for me. I'm like, that is just such a clever, cool, quirky thing to do. Um, and this is a pretty legit set. Like, this is, you know, 2,500 pieces. It's interesting. You know, one of those ones that takes so long to yeah, build. Yeah, it's interesting that it also seems to kind of connect to the uh, the originally uh, original announced um, Mario Brothers Lego yeah. set with uh, the Mario that honestly looks very strange. And it's got some kind of like digital component to it as well. Um, that set, I wasn't sold on that when they announced it, but it was cool that, hey, they're doing some kind of Nintendo Lego. I don't know why they didn't do it 10 years ago. Um, 
but it's yeah i i think this is this is really cool i'd i'd love to see them do a a a lego uh, snes that would be the one i'd want oh so that's interesting you know you know my affiliation here i'm i'd still consider the snes to be the greatest console of all time this was you know my jam back in the day i wanted this thing forever and i loved it so much um and you know i'm sure in other podcasts We'll, we'll go into the real depths of how much I love it and what I've bought <laughs> associated with it. But I don't know. To me, the NES is so much more iconic just for everyone. Like, I feel like if you show someone a NES versus a SNES, you know, they'll just go straight to the NES and that would be the iconic thing. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, the problem is if I actually got this and then they released a SNES later, I feel like I'll probably end up getting that as well. So it's a very dangerous path to go down. Um and I had the same thought as you that I really did not vibe with, um, you know, the starter kit or whatever it was called, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the the packs that they have. To me, it's like they're trying to do something weird with it and it just didn't click at all and I just have zero interest in buying it. But this I'm so on the fence with and I'm yeah give, pretty close to pulling the trigger me, on it. It's pretty scary. Give me Peach's Castle. Give me Bowser's Castle. Give me these structures oh. that are – Iconic oh, Nintendo, dude. and obviously Bazaar Castles change all the time, but Peach's Castle, there's kind of Peach's kind Castle. of almost a canon now, you know, like you, <laughs> oh can, my you God. can come up with that. Yeah. Um, give me those kind of things. Or give me like sets that are based on very famous levels from, you know, like Mario 3 or or um, Mario Odyssey and, and things like that. That's the kind of stuff I want. Um, so hopefully they get there. It is going to happen. So they've already announced that they're going to release further. You know, those starter sets, the smaller sets that are about 60 Australian dollars, they're actually going to release more of them. So even ones that they haven't even announced yet um, before Christmas this year. And just, you know, looking at what Lego does with their licensed products, um, you know, with Star Wars, Harry Potter, etc. I feel like it's almost inevitable that they'll have Peach's Castle. And when you said it, I was like, damn, <laughs> I'm in on that Peter's Castle thing. That that to me is almost the most iconic thing from Nintendo now. They can they like, can make it so you can open it up and it's got the like the the foyer oh. set up like Mario sixty four and they did they made yes. something similar yes. in Odyssey as yes. well with the like the thing the circle sun like carpet thing in the center. It'd be perfect. It'd yeah. be the perfect thing, dude. You know, and uh, like we're going on a bit of a tangent, but when we when I was playing Odyssey and I love that game and. You know, I, I love Breath of the Wild. They both came out in the same year. It's one of the greatest years for video games for me. And it, it is very close, which one I think is better. But when they got into the Mario 64, the, you know, and this is a spoiler, I should say, you know, when it got into the Mario 64 inspired part, like almost like I was so overwhelmed when I was playing it. I was just like, I felt like a kid, man. Like I was so into it. You know, and you've just kind of got me there as well in the fields just around Peach's Castle. That would, that would, that'd be my jam. I'd definitely get that. I'd definitely get that. I'm on the fence with this this NES. I'll, I'll, I'll have a think about it more. I might actually get it, but definitely Peach's Castle I'll get. Um, and talking more about nostalgia, so Super Mario Brothers. Um, so Heritage Auctions has recently been doing a lot of uh, vintage video game sales and this whole market is really, really heating up and it's quite fascinating actually. And uh, there was a record sale price of a Mario game. And it actually, from my understanding, is not even in 
the early run of Mario necessarily, but it sold for 114,000 US dollars, which is about 160,000 Australian dollars. I I'm not I'm not certain, but I think it's because of the cardboard hang tab. So they only, yeah. only and the grading, yeah, oh yeah, that obviously like they need to make sure you know, like you know the how good the box is and everything like that. But I think it's it's because it was like only available for a certain amount of time, and it's for some reason that's the one that's the one that people are trying to get. So we mm. we are definitely not the right people to go into depth about um, vintage game collection. There's uh, there's other people out there that know a lot more than us. But it is interesting that it was uh it's sold it's essentially set the world record. Which I'm surprised that considering how um you know there's some much rarer games out there. Yeah, well, and and you know, I, look, we do know a lot about it, but not as much as other experts. From my perspective. I actually, you know, because a lot of people are viewing this and, you know, some even people who are experts and I normally would defer to them, they're, they're viewing a lot of this stuff as is getting it out of hand and there's a lot of speculation. But, you know, just, just to get into the specificity of it. So, like, this one that sold for 114000 wasn't in the very first run, right? But there are Mario Brothers... Uh, games that were sold that were in the very first production run because they did a test market in New York. Um, I really do believe those games that were in that test run and the highest quality games, to me, they will be um, the equivalent of Action Comics number one, uh, you know, in the comics world. Like, I think that these games will be worth millions of dollars eventually because there's not that many preserved copies of them, of the initial really small limited run and when they can prove it you know i think they will be worth a hell of a lot like i to me i can't think of a more important game than super mario brothers in the format that it is like i'd probably argue maybe tetris but tetris came in a lots of different variants and formats and kind of built with time but super mario brothers the cachet that it has in the culture and what it did you know i i, I think it will grow into something massive so i don't think a lot of these people are being that crazy i think I think they've, you know, these aren't video game people. These are sort of speculators slash investors. Um, and I think this is probably the right avenue to go down. But some of these other games that are selling for lots of money, to me, seem bizarre. You know, you've got other games that are selling for twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 that may not even be that rare, which is strange. Yeah, it's uh, people with a lot of money to spend and uh, on things they can't actually <laughs> use. <laughs> yeah, very well said. Um, so in other news and looking forward to the next gen, uh, we've actually had a revelation of what the PS5 box art looks like. And then also for me, it seemed like the P, uh, sorry, the Xbox series X box art has been revealed in some ways with like a little sticker on it to say series X on it. Is that your understanding as well on the series X? Yeah. One? So it looks like they're just, um, essentially using the same, I'll just put the Xbox one now, um, other than yeah. it's saying on the current Xbox One ones, they say Xbox One at the top, and I think the image that I've seen, it just says Xbox, which is interesting. Um, yeah, correct. With, yeah. The, with the PS5 one now, I'm I, I'm very much, we mentioned before, like I don't own a PlayStation system at the moment outside of, like I have yeah. PS2 and I've got a PS1. Um, and... It's not because I don't like PlayStation. It's just because I don't. I've got a Switch. I've got a PC and an Xbox. It kind of covers me for the stuff I want to 
I want to play. I miss out on a lot of the, obviously, games that are only on the system, but I'm okay with that for now. Um, but when it comes to this, I don't know, like I'm looking at the PS5 box art, and box art these days is just feels so much more generic than it used to in the past. But obviously they're following the white motif of the whole system. Mm. I don't think it looks that nice, though, as an actual, like, header on a game box. Um, I, I, white to me has never looked good. They did, they did white for games for Windows Live games. Um, that, that mm. wildly <laughs> popular platform that, <laughs> that went nowhere. I actually own some of those. Wait, um, I, and yeah. they were white on the top. And I always thought they looked ugly as well. So it's not bias here. It's just, well, it's bias against white looking labels. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Look, I guess they've got to keep it within the look of their, their branding. Um, so. Yeah. And like the weird thing for me, so like, okay, with the PS5 one to tackle first, I think that the, like PS4 to me is great. looks good. And, you know, I think your overall statement about, you know, how important it is, you know what, let's be real. It's becoming even less important because, PS5 is going to come out as a PS5 and then PS5, like, you know, the digital version of the PS5. And you've already seen, you know, sales from a physical perspective have dipped below digital sales. And that's just going to accelerate, you know, through the generation. So how much box art's really important probably is going to be a lot lower. But well, I'd say PS4 to so be- the box art is still important in terms of the actual graphics because the yeah, digital storefronts yeah. show them, but they don't include the actual like P- console like part of it, like that we're talking about. Yeah, so the part that we're talking about, like the framing of the art that you know is representative of the game. But PS Five, it's bizarre how they've done it because I actually don't mind it as much. You know, I know people don't like it, but I think it's okay. But the thing that doesn't make any sense for me really is how it's got the blue trim around it, like the exact same blue trim that the PS4 has. And the only thing I understand is, are they saying that that's like Blu-ray? And, you know, Blu-ray's got like that blue synonym, but it just looks wrong the way they've done it with the blue trim around I it. Want- like if it had a black trim, I think it'd look pretty is cool. Is that blue? So you say trim, so that's actually like the plastic part. Um, yeah, correct. So yeah. is that the same as the PS4? Yeah. So I wonder if knowing that they're that physical sales are kind of going to dwindle out this generation a lot more than they ever have, do you reckon that they're just keeping um I know it probably doesn't cost them much to come up with new, you know, molds for that stuff and you know, probably, you know, I don't know how you colour plastic, but I'm sure it's not too expensive. But do you think it's just they're keeping it that way so they can just just use the same stuff that they've already got created? I don't think so. I don't think so because the reality is like it, it's almost negligible. So it is an inventory management problem, but I just don't think that would be a driver at all. Actually, what a, I mean, I, I hope it wouldn't be. Actually, a driver. what else could you I, make I, it? The only thing is, you make it just like a, a clear white or something. Because other than that, you know, nothing well, else would really black. work. I think black would look cool. Mm. You know, because then that gets back into the the motif that they've got going with the black and white, yeah, okay. and you still be predominantly white. It just the blue makes it look wrong, and to me, it looks crap. And then you know, kind of linking it back into the <laughs> it Xbox looks crap. One. I love, 
<laughs> well, no, but I, you know, it just doesn't look good. It doesn't look aesthetically. No, I just like actually the, the language is just like yeah, that's to the point. I love it. Well, but no, but it is because like to me, if you look at it, I'm looking at an image right now of like the DualShock Five, and we'll get to you know some more news about DualShock Five. But DualShock Five, PS Five, and then the box. To me, it all fits together apart from the blue trim. And I know that there's blue accents with the PS5 on the controller and on the console itself, but the trim on the, the box is so pro- like prominent. It just, I don't know, it just strikes me the wrong way. It just doesn't click mm. at all. Not a big fan of it. But for me personally, I still prefer this over the Xbox One that we're seeing so far with this huge badge on it and... Like, it seems like you buy a disc and it will work on the Series X and on the Xbox One on the same disc, which is pretty sick. Yeah, that's the way that smart delivery works. Oh, that's, that's see, that, I like that, but this big box that says in stamp, optimized for Series X, it just looks oh, yeah, crazy. I'm not, it's like taking over the whole bloody Don't get me wrong, out. like me, I'm not saying that I, to me, should you should have something that says Xbox Series X, but uh, I don't know. The whole whole naming thing, I think we should talk about um, in a future episode. Future yeah. episode, yeah, agree. And just uh, on to the next piece of news. So we had Jeff Keighley in the last 24 hours. He had his own video that popped up as part of Summer of Gaming. I don't know if you had a chance to watch it. But, I didn't um, even know this news item was here. Oh, okay. <laughs> so um, basically uh, it was a PS5 hands-on. And it was with the DualShock 5 controller. So just going into more details, probably like some of the things I just wanted to call out, you know, we still actually didn't know if there were any buttons on the back, you know, the similar buttons that they released the accessory, the back button accessory for the DualShock 4. Um, and, you know, you know, with the Elite controllers with Xbox, how they've got those triggers yeah. in the back. So there was speculation they'd have that. You know, we could see the, the reverse of the DualShock 5 and it doesn't. And man, the DualShock Five looks like a chunky boy or girl. <laughs> like it looks chunky, dude. Like you, you, yeah. Watch the video after this, hey. but it just looks thick. Hey, controllers are gender like neutral. Like with two C's. <laughs> thick with two C's, and yeah, gender neutral exactly. Um, so yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and then moving on to like some more rapid news that we have. Uh, first up with Amazingly Stadia. Never thought we'd cover this because I don't think either of us are interested in it. And as far as Google is concerned, Australia doesn't exist, so we can't get Stadia in Australia. But we have Super Bomberman R online. So, you know, Bomberman R is already released. It came out on the Switch and other platforms back in 2017. But there's a 64-player Battle Royale version of Bomberman, which initially I was like, damn, this is such a cool use of Stadia. And then I saw some gameplay of it. Have you have you had so a chance to look at the gameplay? I haven't seen of the it? gameplay, but if they're if they're if they're thinking they're going to get sixty four people playing Bomberman on Stadia at the same time, then they're then they're joking. <laughs> Unless they make it free, I, <laughs> is it free? <laughs> well, uh, no, uh, I think you have well, to buy it. You go. If they made that free, <laughs> then that'd actually and if Stadia was available in Australia, I'd be like, hey, I'm going to try that. And maybe, yeah, maybe would, would actually get me to be interested in it. So he's hoping that Bomberman R Online comes to <laughs> other platforms. No, and so this is okay. So you know, I think this is going to be a running joke for us. But so the thing that I couldn't believe was a couple of things that they actually didn't make it an exclusive, and they were pretty clear that they weren't saying it's an exclusive. 
they were saying it's going to leverage a lot of the cool features of Stadia, which to be fair are cool. It's like the game is running in the cloud. So you actually technically for a battle Royale game should have a better experience if everything's working right. Um, but the fact that they didn't say it's exclusive was like, oh my God. And it seemed like you had to buy it. And your point is 100% right. You're probably lucky to have 64 people playing Stadia, let alone 64 people playing Super Bomberman R online. And then the final thing that annoyed me was, to me, the way they've executed it is the total wrong way. So what I pictured in my mind was like, you have your screen and it's basically almost the whole game map. Or like maybe you're seeing a third of the game map or something like that. And you've got all the 64 players on it, right? But it's actually like the regular size for Super Bomberman. Oh, sorry, Bomberman R. And then you've got like Pac-Man style portals that will go into other parts of the map. Does that make sense? It's almost like rooms. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, that's not the right way to do it. So once I saw that, I was like, And Satin Satin Bomberman managed to get 10 people players at the same time dude <laughs> dude you know i actually went back and watched a whole bunch of satin Bomberman, and i'm like this is the original battle royale <laughs> and they've missed i like okay i could go a deep dive on this i feel like they've missed such an opportunity stadia to go you know we're bringing back the original battle royale and then like bring in the satin stuff and then actually make it free as part of Stadia if you get onto Stadia. Like, I think that's a smart thing to do. Look, at this, po- at this point, um, uh, look, let, let's, let, let's discuss Stadia in detail in the future, but I, I think it's, it's kind of, uh, let's give it a few years. <laughs> well, I don't think it has that. And you're right, like, we need to move on, but and we didn't mention it earlier, but with the announcement with xCloud and the integration into Game Pass, to me, when Xbox announced that, I was like, man, Stadia's dead. Like, wh- like, why would you go down the Stadia route? Yeah. Like, it doesn't make any and sense. Then, so, and then you've got uh, GeForce Now kind of filling in some of the blanks in, you know, in for people that aren't interested in the Xbox platform. And it's like, yeah. man, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, you know, like, I, I don't know if you how close you are, but PS Now, so the PS like PlayStation equivalent, they dropped in price, hell of a lot more people jumping on board with that. So, yeah, I feel like they're all circling around Stadia and they're in massive strife at the moment. So I think, yeah, we'll, we'll need to cover Stadia before they actually close it down because Google loves closing things down and they would not be afraid to pull the trigger and shut it down. Um, so moving into other next-gen news, uh, Sony has reported, um, so this is Nikkei, um, the Japanese outlet, uh, more financial outlet, I should call out, that the PS5, they've actually ramped up the production numbers of the PS5. So initially they were looking at 6 million units uh, that they wanted to have available, and now they're talking about having 9 million units. On multiple fronts, I think this is great news. This means that it doesn't seem like there will be a delay uh, and that the consoles, both the Xbox uh, Series X and the PS5, will come out as scheduled. And, you know, probably we're both guessing late November this year in uh, ma- major markets. Let's just hope, let's hope it's also the stores will be open so people can actually go and buy them. <laughs> well, I think it'd be a lot of deliveries, yeah. right? But it's quite a, kind of a huge increase. Like, you know, going from 6 to 9, there's 50% increase in production. So they're obviously seeing a lot of attention um, on the next gen and a lot of confidence in what they're doing in that space. So it'd be interesting to see uh, how available it will be because initially I was thinking, yeah, there'd be really short sh- 
there would be a shortage of it, but maybe not. Um, and then going into other production news, so uh, coming out actually of uh, from a local Australian website, Press Start, uh, through their interaction with Microsoft Australia, and it's actually broadened out to the whole market. Uh, there's been news that the Xbox One X and the Xbox One S all digital edition has actually been discontinued. And then also they've ceased production on creating those units. And like this I, does make sense. I was kind of it interested because it does. It does. And it seems like the One S, so the Xbox One S with the disc, will continue into the next generation as yeah, well. Yeah, the, the benefit of having those multiple SKUs is that you're able to retain one of them for that market. Um, it makes sense that they don't keep the One X because the One X is um, obviously a lot more expensive um, to buy and to produce. Um, with the One S, you're still getting access to every single game that the One X has. You just don't get some of the upgraded features. And as someone that went from a normal Xbox One, like the launch one, to the One X, um, it's obviously faster and certain games, it's very noticeable. But other than that, it's you're fine with a, a normal Xbox One S if you just want to, mm. you know, play the majority of games. So I think that that makes sense. And, you know, for someone like me who, you know, I am interested in dipping back into Xbox, you know, the One X versus the Series X. And, you know, I love collecting consoles and having them available. And, you know, I've still got my, like, Wii U set up, PS3 set up. The funny thing is, it doesn't really seem like there's any benefit in me going and grabbing an Xbox One X because, you know, they've already confirmed that every game, excluding the Kinect games, every game will work that works on the Xbox One, One X, sorry, yeah, Xbox One, One X, You're doing well. You're doing well. On the (laughs) Xbox Series X, you know what I'm saying? So it's like there's no point in me getting it. Whereas, you know, in the old days, and still, you know, I'm adamant about this, it's still a lot of sense in getting a PS2, a PS3, mm. because those games and on those on those consoles don't emulate that well on other consoles. So whereas Xbox One, it's kind of like, it's an interesting one. It's kind of a bit tough for them because they've done such a good job with backwards compatibility. But at the same time for me, I look at the Series X and I go, hey, you know, pretty good deal with the Game Pass. You know, all the games on Xbox One, I can play them. They'll work on it. It's 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 interesting and it makes total sense that they've ceased production and then just trying to get people onto the one S and then get ready for the Series X to blow everyone apart. So yeah. yeah, and if I think if the all digital one probably had taken off more, that may have been the one that they kept. But obviously, well, also actually in saying that, um, I guess retailers would want the the one S. Sorry, the yeah, the the one S, not the digital one, so so that they can still sell the Xbox One versions of those games because every game for a while will apparently work on both, or at least Microsoft ones. So they yeah. need something to sell alongside that. So, and it's so interesting because you know how that was received. Xbox One S, all digital edition. Everyone's like the sad edition. Unfortunate mm-hmm. how it's spelt out. Um, and then when the PS5 got released, everyone's like, oh, I kind of like the digital one. It looks a bit better. And there wasn't any negativity that I really saw, main negativity compared to when Xbox really led, you know, in, in having a console that didn't just, have the disc, which they've done previously. It just shows well. how just sometimes 
those initial reactions are so ridiculous. Like it's agree, it's, yeah. agree, and especially where you can buy one with a disc, right? If you have options, I'm always a big believer in options. You know, even with a PS5, I love collecting physical media, but the look of the PS5 just is so much better to me as the digital version than non-digital. It's almost swaying me. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll cover that later because I've got a lot to say about the price differential before it gets announced. Um, so moving on to some TV and movie news and amazingly like some of these things that are actually getting announced. Uh, so first up, maybe I'll hand over to you, but a uh, new Netflix series is coming out. So this was announced a while back. Um, Dragon's Dogma is getting a Netflix anime series and I hadn't heard of it and they have now got a release date of September the 17th and there was some post art re- revealed and honestly this is a fantastic candidate for um a series because the the world is fantastic it's a brilliant game but that's besides the point for this it's it's got a great world it's got some cool ideas but the characters in the central plot weren't super strong so they can essentially craft whatever they want but they've got this cool world already built for them so i'm really looking forward to that um they've even though i haven't finished it uh the castlevania series they did was was very well received and yeah um, it's amazing yeah, so i'm really looking forward to this um and it seems like the you know the, the, they've got what they needed which is the plot about a dragon stealing your heart, and then you need to get your heart back. As stupid as that sounds, it, it makes sense in in the storyline of the game. So, and we've also got Monster Hunter. So, well, before we move on from that, just quickly, I don't have any affiliation with Dragon's Dogma, but you know, I love the Castlevania series. So, like, it makes me go, "Oh, okay, I'm interested in watching this now." Just given the connection yeah. there. And the last one I wanted to say is, you know that there's this whole theme now with some people saying the Castlevania TV series isn't an anime. Have you heard oh, this? That's, that's ridiculous. And you know the reason why? Why? Because it's not made by Japanese people. It's actually made out of Texas. So they're like, you can't call it an anime, which I think is insane. Half the anime is animated by people that aren't in Japan, <laughs> Japan anyway. So it's ridiculous. South Korea. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, and moving on to the next bit of uh, film and movie and TV news, yeah. Monster Hunter. Yeah, so I remember when they announced that they're making Monster Hunter movie, and it's like, what the hell? But, I mean, it's the biggest... Monster Hunter World was the the biggest selling Capcom game of all time, which is crazy to me. Um, I've, I've yes. recently... When you think Mega Man, yeah, Street Fighter... I, I, like recently, I recently got into Monster Hunter World. They put it on Game Pass. So there you go. It shows Game Pass kits. <laughs> and it's, I actually went and bought um, Iceborne, the massive expansion. Oh, nice. So, really? So you must have really liked I it. I love Monster Hunter World. It's great. And I've watched... I've learned a lot about the series and how the, it worked before. And I think it's a great entry point because essentially you get the quality of life... Um, changes and everything wouldn't say that everyone thinks it's the best one but it's great and but in terms of the movie so it was originally set to be released in september at least that's the date that i know it yeah. wasn't for the us <laughs> and with everything mm. that's going on it's been pushed to april um so it's been put out by sony pictures directed by paul ws anderson as we know he's made all those resident evil films so it's got <laughs> Mila Jokovic in it oh jovovich i should say <laughs> What a shock. Yeah, it's... Look, the games are super campy. 
probably even campier than Resident Evil. Um, so if you're going to make a campy action flick, it, it suits it. But I've heard mm. that it's... Oh, by the way, Tony Jaa's also in it. Tony Jaa's great. Um, so the thing is, I've heard that it's like, oh, these soldiers from like our time are transported to the Monster Hunter world. Like, can you just not just make it? Like, why do you have to sm- do a Smurfs version of, of Monster Hunter World? <laughs> like, the Smurfs come to our <laughs> world, you know? It's like, come on. Anyway. Uh, and then, actually, another Sony Pictures news, and I, I actually thought that this was dead for sure. Um, after chewing through six directors, massive amount of delays, felt like it was on the cusp of ca- cancellation, it appears, you know, very strongly that uh, Sony's Uncharted movie is actually going to come out, as uh, confirmed by an Instagram post from the movie star Spider-Man's Tom Holland. Now, like, have you actually played any of the Uncharted games? So, no. So that's this. This yeah. is where the not having a Sony console, especially since PS2, um, you you start to feel the pain on some of these games. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Tomb Raider series, so I definitely think that. While they they are different, um, the the tone of the Uncharted games, and I guess like so, some of the gameplay elements would be right up my alley, um, but I've yeah I just haven't had the the platform to do it. Um, but maybe one day I'll I'll uh, I'll get myself something and play through the, a collection. So yeah, and you know like they've actually made these games so available. You know, it wasn't only a few months ago where you could actually just download them all for free as part of um, your PS Plus subscription. So the whole trilogy, um, you know, great games that you'd definitely love them, like for sure. Um, and they're not like super long games; they're like maybe twelve to fifteen hour long games, which I actually love and really appreciate games of that type of length and. To me, I don't, I, like this film, I'm always shocked at how it's gone through um, development hell when, to me, it's just kind of so obvious. Like, the, the the game itself really is an homage to Indiana Jones. I just don't understand why it was so difficult to turn this into a film. Sort of like one of the few series of games where you go, well, yeah, easy. Like, I could turn that into a, a film. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it just seemed really strange to me, but it seems like it's definitely going to happen now. Uh, so moving out of movie news, uh, and and this is something I'm really excited to cover. But and you, we won't go back too far. But uh, essentially, Slippy. So Slippy is a modified version of a Wii and GameCube emulator called Dolphin. And the whole idea of Slippy and how it originated was um, very much from a, a person, a creator called Fizzy or Fizzy Thirty Six, as he goes online a lot. He, he really views Smash Brothers Melee as being, uh, you know, the equivalent of a sport. And when you're looking at sports, there's a lot of stuff around stats and tactics and all this kind of stuff and data and information. And, you know, he, he created this whole thing called Slippy to be able to start to extract a lot of the analytics out of Smash Brothers Melee, which is really, really cool. Um, and then what he did last year was he actually quit his job got Patreon funding, and again, another example of how cool Patreon is, um, to actually just dedicate his time to craft and manipulate and modify this emulator dolphin to just be solely dedicated to Smash Brothers Melee. And actually what he's actually done is he's retrofitted rollback netcode into Slippy uh, and into, therefore, Smash Brothers Melee, which legitimately makes 
this version of Smash Brothers Melee playing through Slippy, like a different level altogether than Nintendo's own Smash Brothers Ultimate version of Netplay, which, you know, you and I constantly play, which blows my mind. Um, and I just wanted to mention it because there's been a new version that was released this week, uh, Tuesday just gone by, uh, which now allows you to select stages and there's actually a Mac and a Linux version of it as well. So I don't think we'll probably cover it again. I think that this, to me, is definitely the biggest thing that's happened to the Melee community since the documentary about Melee. Um, and again, if you haven't seen that documentary called uh, Smash Bros, just uh, Google it on YouTube and maybe we'll put a link in to the show notes as well. It's free to check out online. It goes for about four hours. It's amazing. It really, to be honest, got me into Smash Bros. So- um, so you say you can choose stages, so you can choose final destination or final destination. Is that right? <laughs> no, like yeah. So yeah, we probably both have a bit, a bit of the same view about some of the uh, craziness of the competitive part of the Smash scene. But the way this works is you can jump in and select a stage, and then like start playing, and you know you'll match up with someone. So it's not necessarily they've matched on the same stage as you. So I think it gets okay. a bit randomized. I'm going to become the um, best Ganondorf player on Poke Floats. Okay, here we go. <laughs> well, you know, one thing about this, um, Falco, it, it's just like so many people are playing Falco at the moment for whatever reason. Um, and he's Fizzy, the creator, I just saw on Twitter the other day. He's actually, the next set of features is you can actually play char- like a set of characters or a subset of characters. So you can make it set it up so you never play a Falco. Like you're only available to be matched up with people who are not. Um, but like I said, this is actually a huge development and, you know, I understand it's a very niche area, but, you know, from a fighting game community perspective, like I genuinely think this could actually potentially bring Melee back into the fore from an Evo perspective. And to me, I wouldn't actually be shocked if, if Melee actually didn't make a comeback into Evo itself. I mean, which, you know, that's a whole nother topic about what's going on with Evo, but you know, I think Evo will come back and I think they'll have a big one next year. And I really could imagine Melee coming back and everything that this guy Fizzy is doing. He's an amazing guy. He's going to go down as a legend in the Melee community and the Smash Brothers community in general. And, you know, I've checked this out. You should check it out as well. It's really, really fun. Uh, and it's a really, really cool project. And I just hope um, they've been really smart from a legal perspective that they're not going to, you know, get into any trouble from a legal perspective around what they've done. Uh, so moving on to uh, other news. So we have Minecraft and it's actually ending their support on certain platforms. And I think generally they've done a pretty good job of supporting it on a huge raft of platforms, but they are ending uh, support on certain platforms. Yeah. So we're basically looking Gear VR, Windows 10 Mobile, which God makes sense, um, and a whole, and Android uh, and iOS devices that are under certain, I guess, specifications now so the yeah it's it's interesting um as, as someone who loves achievements there every single version of minecraft has a separate achievement list so there's crazy people out there that keep up with getting them all across all of them so some people are a little, little annoyed that that some of those ones will no longer get those uh those content updates but hey makes sense and we're well into the podcast but 
you know, from an achievement point of view, it's not anyone we're talking about here, is it? <laughs> no, no, I don't. I, 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 I tried to get, I got all the achievements in like one version of Minecraft and then they started releasing like thousands more and I'm like, that's it. I, I had my time with that. <laughs> and, I, and I should just call out that you, uh, you know, you'd be in the what, top 0.1% of people. With achievement score uh, in the world, I don't know if it's that high. Not, not. Uh, I don't know. I, I'd be gambling let's, let's on that. Let's just say that um, my <laughs> I, I haven't been keeping up with my uh, my my re- my past performance in that regard. Thank. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Um, and you know, another thing that's really close to our hearts in in new news. Um, so the Master Chief Collection. So a remake, remake, not reimagining a remake. I should say a remastering of a lot of the, or the whole series of, of Halo games, starting with Halo one, uh, has actually been released on PC and, and they're releasing it staggered. So, you know, Halo came out, Halo two, and then Halo three came out this week and it's just updated on my system. Cause I own it on steam. I am really, really looking forward to this. Like the initial reaction from people is saying that this is the best one that they've released so far, like the best remaster and for me, Halo 3 has the, you know, the closest ties that I have. You know, both you and I spent a lot of time uh, playing Halo 3 back on the Xbox 360 days. And, yeah, I'm really keen to fire this and up. And this is also the first time it's ever been on PC. So that's that's a Yeah, that's true, yeah. Thing, especially for people that love Halo 3 multiplayer. And we played a lot of Halo 3 multiplayer. And I think that's... <laughs> I won't say that it's the best multiplayer in the series. Um, I kind of like Reach, but it's it is good that that's going to have a new lease of life. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be amazing. And one thing to add there, uh, there's a skull system within uh, Halo Three, and they've actually gone back and added a new skull that lets you fly if you have it. And just seeing some of the gameplay footage, it looks really sick. Like people are flying from one vehicle to another, so it looks pretty pretty cool the way they've done it. Um, and then other news, and we'll probably zip through some of this stuff. Uh, the Doom Super Nintendo Entertainment System source code for that port has actually been released. So you can actually just jump on GitHub and it's the original assembly code. There's no instructions on how to build it. Um, and it's, it's verified through the original creator and porter actually mentioned it on a podcast a few months ago. And it, it's the guy who it's, released it's- it. And it just seemed to be totally out of the It's still insane that they got that to run on that platform. And that is, I played that game the most on that platform and I don't know how. (laughs) Yeah, well, like I actually went back and tried to play it and it's just weird, some of the decisions, even at the time I feel, of how it worked. And people are already talking about modding the game now. So allowing it, so you know the shoulder buttons can be like strafing. Which I think would be amazing if that if it had that in it. So I actually I'm going to keep my eyes on it, and I love this kind of weird news, and you know love retro games. So I'm actually keen to play it if they actually uh, modify it a bit and enhance the game. It'd be really interesting to see what they do there. Um, and another quick news: uh, there appears to have been a Japanese-only exclusive My Nintendo reward, and it's a physical reward. So in in Japan, they actually have they still have physical rewards for my Nintendo and they posted this tweet and then deleted it, but it's a set of smash brothers themed items. So you've got the smash brothers envelope. You actually have a wax seal and theme paper 
this like I actually will import this if they release this, and it seems like they will. Um, so you might uh, receive Swinny an invitation to a f- an upcoming event from me with a Smash Brothers insignia on it. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> and <laughs> in other news, and as a huge Amiibo fan, uh, and I've like ridiculous amount of Amiibo, I was super pumped to see that they first, you know, in um, the Min Min. Yeah, presentation that they had uh, like what was it a few weeks ago now uh, that they actually showed off the Joker and Hero Amiibo and they are launching in Australia and Japan and Europe on Friday the 25th of September and then also in the US and North America on Friday the 2nd of October so you can already pre-order these figures I think what they're going to do from now on is just have very low production runs and then get through the rest of the Smash roster which you know, next up, if you're following the logic, is Banjo-Kazooie, which will just fly off the shelves. Like, people will definitely want to get that. This week, we had Ghost of Tsushima and Paper Mario, the Origami King, both get released, both with really positive reception from critics. Uh, and again, with Paper Mario, some mixed reactions from fans. And I personally think that, you know, there will always be mixed reaction with Paper Mario, given that they've moved away from the RPG elements. And I, I think unless they have that, people will never love this series as they used to. I'm not sure what your thoughts on that are. Yeah, I I think that at this point, if you're expecting them to have that in there, then you're probably going to be disappointed. It's a shame um, because the first Paper Mario and especially Thousand Year Door uh, are brilliant games, but... I think it's with this, you have to kind of check the details, watch the gameplay videos and make sure it's what you're expecting it to be. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think, you know, really well said, I, I don't see them bringing it back. Like Nintendo likes to evolve and change. And I think, you know, probably from their perception, they did that formula really well in the past. So it's kind of like nothing else for them to really do from that space. So I just don't think they'll go back to it. Look, like I'm getting Paper Mario. It was meant to arrive Friday. So I was initially going to have some first thoughts in this episode, but maybe next week I'll give a mini review. I don't think we'll ever do full on reviews unless, uh, you know, the audience really wants us to. I don't think we'll really get a review. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe, yeah, maybe big games that we truly love. But I, I, you know, and we'll see how that plays out. If people really want to hear our thoughts on certain games, sure. Um, but I'll, I'll probably come back with a mini review. I'll, I'll endeavor to try to get through as much of it as possible and and give my thoughts. And I'm not a huge Paper Mario fan, um, so it'd be really interesting to see how I've received it. It might be a bit different than what people would expect. Um, and then just starting to close out the news, uh, you know, there was an update around uh, Nintendo Switch Online, which to me was really awesome because it meant that Donkey Kong Country joins the lineup for uh, Nintendo Switch Online. And, uh, yeah, I think, what do you want to do? Do you want to actually go back and play this and maybe come back to it in a later episode? Oh, definitely. I'm, it's been yeah. a while since I've played Donkey Kong Country 1 um, from start to finish, and I'm looking forward to it. It's uh, it's an amazing game. Yeah, so maybe like maybe not next week's episode, but maybe the week after we'll cover it. So if anyone's listening along, you know, if you want to play it as well and sort of rehash some of the memories around it, you know, it would be a good idea. And just rounding out the news, uh, just I thought a bit of a reflection because this actually came up in a few different forums 
you know, around some stuff that I'm pretty passionate about as well. But yeah, five years ago, like if you actually look back five years, uh, you know, we had the passing of the then president, Satoru Awada, uh, who, you know, had a huge impact into Nintendo, did uh, so many things from, you know, just their brand, uh, the actual sort of direction of the company, and then literally physically the games themselves, you know, amazing work even on the Pokemon series. Um, you know, so I felt like we should mention that here. Uh, and, you know, very, very big impact with a lot of players and a lot of people out there. Uh, also a game that I'm like a massive fan of, maybe a mega fan of, uh, Rocket League. So they celebrated their fifth anniversary and they also announced a bunch of stats. Probably the key one is around the 75 million players that they've had of Rocket League. And then finally, uh, Rainbow Six Siege. Also, kind of like a very similar game in a way, if you really think about it, to Rocket League uh, celebrated its fifth anniversary and them announcing that it had 60 million players. Um, and I think, you know, again, you know, there's a lot of future episodes, but it, it would be interesting to cover some of these games, these live service games and just what do they do to keep the fan base inspired and interested and kind of keep them coming back and, you know, what our thoughts are around the strategies, you know, compared to something like an Overwatch 2. Like, how do you do sequels? Because I just wanted to mention that because in the Ubisoft event, uh, the director of Rainbow Six Siege actually came out and reiterated there will be no Rainbow Six Siege 2. Like, this game is going to be around for 10 years from now. So it's yeah, it's really interesting strategy stuff, I think. And now, like, uh, moving into our next segment around the bargain bin. So we'll try to fly through some of this, but I really want to make sure that people are picking up good deals, uh, anything that we think resonates with us. Uh, starting off with Switch. So actually from a Sydney-based studio, SMG Studios, uh, Death Squared. So it's on an all-time low price. This is a really cool game. I own this game. I paid a lot more than $1.50 Australian, and it's also $1.50 US. Uh, so it's on sale right now. So it's a 90% off sale, and that's all the way out to Monday uh, 10 10th of August. So I'd highly recommend picking this up. It's dirt cheap if you have local co-op. So if you're looking that, you know, some people are going to be over, it's a great party game. Really, really fun. I'm not sure if you've played it or saw, seen it before. Oh, I definitely know about it. I haven't personally played it though. Really, really cool game. I remember one of my mates was over and we, we uh, turned it on. It was literally, hey, let's just play for 10 minutes because it is a game you could play for 10 minutes and he needed to go to sleep. And then we ended up playing for like two hours because it's just so addictive and really, really good fun. Really, really good uh, couch co-op game like they had back in the day. Uh, moving on to PlayStation. So there were some PlayStation Plus games. Uh, so part of celebrating uh, 10 years of PlayStation Plus, uh, Rise of Tomb Raider 20th Anniversary Edition, the NBA 2K20 game, and then Erica all were uh, as part of the PS Plus subscription. Uh, just a reminder, everyone, Make sure you download it, add it to your account. You don't have to install it, and then it'll be in your account forever. So that runs to the 3rd of Mar- uh, third of August, I should say. And then on PC, uh, Epic Game Store often has a lot of really great bargains. And when I say bargains, they have freebies each week. Uh, so we'll call out the games that are coming out and then are already out. So Torchlight 2, so it's an action RPG from a Seattle-based developer, Runic Games. That's free at the moment, so grab it. It's free until Friday, the 24th of July. Yeah. It's actually seemed like it's received fairly Fantastic well. Game. Um, for f- oh, so you've actually yeah, played so it? I haven't, I haven't oh, completed nice. Torchlight 2. I've completed Torchlight 1, um, but it's great. And Torchlight 3 is on its way as well. 
And what what kind of game is it? Like it's see, action it's RPG. So I think kind of. Ah, okay, cool. Yeah, I might actually uh, check it out. It looks pretty I, cool. I don't know about Torchlight Two and onwards, but um, the De- Torchlight One was made by a lot of ex Diablo devs. So. Okay, cool. And then Sludge Life at the moment is free, so grab that. That's free for the next four months. And then next week's games have been announced, which is Next Up Hero and Tacoma. So they'll be available from next week on, and we'll mention it uh, next week. I haven't, heard, I haven't played it, but Tacoma is apparently meant to be pretty neat. I believe it's made by the people that made Gone Home. I could be wrong about that, but yes. Uh, I think you're right, and... I really like these kind of games. I know like people always diss the walking simulators and all those kind of things, but I think you need more games that are shorter and a certain experiences rather than 40, 50 hour long games. Like you need a blend of these type of games for a healthy um, ecosystem, I think yep. at least. And then just going on to Xbox, maybe I'll hand over to you as an Xbox fan, just around Game Pass and games with yep. gold. So for July, a whole bunch of games are being added to Game Pass. So we've got Forager, um, which is on console and PC. We've got Mountain Blade Warband, um, which I've played quite a bit. Uh, it's a very interesting game, but it's uh, for being in <laughs> Game Pass, it's worth a shot. Uh, both of those are due on July 16th, which is actually a few days ago. So they'll be on there now. Um, Carrion, which is also on console and PC, July 23rd. Golf with your friends on July 23rd as well. Then we've that's really cool, man. That's that's. I heard a lot of hype about that. Yeah, game. I've heard of it. I haven't seen much about it. So there's been a lot of golf mm. games in recent times, especially ones with gimmicks. So <laughs> they have. Um, they have. So we've got next uh, grounded, which is actually going to be a game preview, so like an early access thing. That's uh, I believe being made by. Oh, what's the dev? I think it is um, the uh, RPG devs. Who's that again? I've got the stuck in. It's lost. I've lost that part of my memory. Anyway, that's on console and PC. It's actually a Microsoft published game. Um, it's like a Honey I Shrunk the Kids style game, coming out on the twenty eighth of July. There's also a game called Nowhere Profit on um, console and PC, July thirtieth. The Tourist console and PC on July thirtieth, and Yakuza Kiwami two July thirtieth, which is the one I'm most interested in playing because Yakuza games are awesome. So. There are a few games leaving the Game Pass on the 31st. So we've got Ashes Cricket for console. We've got Rhyme on console and PC and the Banner Saga 3 on game, um, console and PC. And just checking Grounded, so it's Obsidian. Obsidian. I can't believe I forgot yeah. Obsidian's name. Um, I knew who, <laughs> I knew, I'm thinking it's the Pillar It's the pillar of Eternity dev. Why can't I remember their name? Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I have to say, every time I see stuff on Game Pass, there's always like something. I'm like, damn, I wish I had Game Pass. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, for me, you know, you probably wouldn't think about it, but Forager, because I have um, Game Maker Studio, and they've like, you know, I've got a background in coding and stuff, so I was playing around with creating my own game. Um, and we'll get to that eventually, I'm sure. Uh, but Forager is a big game that came out of Game Maker Studio. So I've always been really keen to check it out because it looks pretty cool. Like the the design of it and everything looks really sick. So I was keen to check it out. And that's the cool thing about Game Pass. It's, you know, you just go, okay, cool. I'll just try it. It's just a bit like Netflix in that way, which is really sick. Yeah, and there's also a few games with gold titles in July. So honestly, the selection's not that great, but we just came from um, a few decent games that were just in the last list. So on Xbox One, we have a WRC or World Rally Championship 
um, 8 coming out. Uh, well, that should be available until 31st. And Dunk Lords available till August the 16th. And on 360, there's a title named Juju, which is available till the 31st. And that's cool that they're still doing 360 games because PlayStation stopped doing that for PS3. Like, they, they used to do that as well, but now cool. they don't. And everyone was thinking, oh, they're going to do more PS4 games. They didn't. Well, <laughs> they, they do also, the every 360 game that is Games of Gold is backwards compatible as well. So, technically, you can buy it and you can just play it on the Xbox One. So. Oh, okay. That's really yeah. sick. Uh, yeah, again, like, you know, a huge selling point, I think, of uh, Xbox in general. Awesome. So now uh, we're up to our special special feature segment of the podcast. So each podcast will rotate what the special feature is. Uh, and in this one, we've titled it the Blind Nostalgia segment. So the idea behind Blind Nostalgia is really picking a game. And, you know, I would say this game has a lot of nostalgia for a lot of people. But for both uh, you and I, we don't really have any connection with it. And, and we'll sort of go into that. So that's Bonk's Adventure. Uh, and for context for people, the PC engine, as it's known in Japan and TurboGrafx-16 in North America, it was never released in Australia. So at least from my perspective, I have no affinity with PC engine slash TurboGrafx, but I've always heard of Bonk's Adventure. Uh, and the idea here really is to actually, you know, dive into it. We've both uh, played it and we'll, we'll share our perspective on it. Um, so again, Bonk's Adventure developed by Red Entertainment and also Atlas, actually interesting, you know, very famous for their Shin Megami Tensei and spin-off Mega Hit Persona. And just trying to do a bit of a deep dive into these two companies, it's actually really hard to find out exactly who did what. It sort of said like this was just co-developed by these two companies. And I tried to pull that thread, but it was actually really hard to figure it out. And just the other thing I wanted to mention before we get into our perspective is you know, Bonk itself and what it's referred to, it seems like different in every region. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's called Bonk's Adventure, like for us. And I've always known it as Bonk's Adventure, probably hearing a lot of US creators on YouTube and things like that. But it was actually referred to as BC Kid in PAL regions, like in Europe, and then PC Genjin in Japan, which is a pun of PC Engine. Which so I it, love that. Like, to I me, love that terrib- so much. Yeah. I love that, but it, to me, it's like this is the worst branding you could ever have. <laughs> You've got a character called lots of different things. It reminds me of um, a spot in you know in one region and the Seven Up mascot in another one. Oh yeah, yeah that's McDonald true. Land was that's true. not McDonald Land in some. It was like another generic platformer. It's just man, the whole licensing and like different differences between regions back in the day was is created so many funny, weird um, stories. Yeah, and especially given that we're in Australia, which is a weird region in and of itself, it's sort of a bit of a subset of Europe, but not really. You know, I think that we've got a lot of uh, interesting topics that we'll want to cover there. So Bonk itself, the series is now owned by Konami. So I don't expect anything from the Bonk (laughs) series uh, of note. Um, And then finally, to actually play this game, really like the only thing I could work out at the moment, given that the Wii U and Wii stores have been closed down, to play Bonk, today you'd need a psp or a ps3 and you can still buy it today so it's like six dollars us dollars to actually buy it today on the playstation store other than that i really couldn't find a way to play it other than buying a turbo graphic 16 mini that would have it so yeah i don't 
hey, you know what? If the Turbo Graphics 16 Mini was available in Australia, I would actually buy one because I haven't played any of the games. So, with the exception of yeah, so, playing Bonk for this, the only other Turbo Graphics game I've ever played was um, Metal Gear and Metal Gear 2, uh, 2 Solid Snake, but I've only played them on like the Metal Gear collections. So, not on those platforms. Uh, but they're. Um, oh, no, sorry. They're MSX. Wait, MSX. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think they're MSX. MSX, okay. Scrap what I just yeah. said. Bonk is the only <laughs> Turbo Graphics game I've ever played. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like, you know, before we jump into it, I always hear a lot about Turbo Graphics 16 and, you know, a lot of positive things about it, but I, I just don't know anything. The only thing I know about it is Bonk's adventure, really. Um, so, yeah, like, let, let's dive into it, like our thoughts. Um Maybe I'll, I'll hand over to you to just okay. give your opening well, thoughts about the I game. Can I just ask, first of all, did you beat the game? No. So <laughs> I intended to. No, 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 I'll, I'll no. get to it. Like, So I got up to le- World 5, and there's five worlds total. So I'm actually very deep into the okay. game. Like, I'm right at the end of the game. And I actually was looking online. There's ways that you can skip ahead pretty easy. So I probably could finish the game in maybe half an hour like where I'm up to. Um, so no, so you got you? further than I did. I got up to the boss of world three. Um, and, okay. but I, what I felt was that, um, where I was at, I was comfortable in actually discussing the game. There may obviously be some really mm. cool stages and gimmicks past that. Um, but one thing I, um, I didn't, I didn't use save states or anything. I just continued like the game was meant to. That game is pretty tough. Um, oh, the game is yeah, brutal. So, I so I got that far without having to resort to anything, and I'm like, you know what, I, I'm cool with this because essentially, when I died on that boss, I went back to the beginning of World Three, and I'm like, mm, okay, for now, I think that's that that's enough for that, this discussion. But I guess overall, look, I've got a lot of thoughts, um, but overall, I, I really enjoyed the game. Um, it's I will say that it's tough to get into the start because the controls are so stiff. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So basically the reason that I feel they're stiff is because essentially Bonk has needs to kind of get going when you, when you're, when you're stationary, mm. you need to hold forward for a little bit before he will actually jump properly. And it was, that's why it felt yeah. stiff. Um, so it's a bit of a wind up and, that meant that there's certain sections until I realized that, that I'm like trying to jump over things and I'm like, what is going on? Um, but the more I played the game, the more I got used to it, um, you adapt. And it's, I guess, because it's a platformer, um, you kind of come into it. You know, I've, I've never liked, for instance, the way Sonic controls. Obviously, Mario games have generally always been very smooth controls. Um so mm. it's 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 not like it doesn't control anything like either of those two. It's very it's very much its own thing. Um, but it's got some really really cool mechanics. The spin mechanic is great. Um, might be the only platform we've played that has something similar to that. The closest would be, I guess, the Mario Three like um, tail um, the feather that you get. Mm. And honestly, with hitting enemies from below so bonk's got a giant head if you didn't know so it's in his name basically the idea yeah. is you hit people with your head but that means you can also also jump into people and hit them from below with your head and that 
It's like I'm trained to avoid doing that in a platformer. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, same, it was same. so weird. You had to like retrain yourself, and there was definitely some wonky stuff like in the vines. I never learned how the vines work in that game. Um, oh yeah, yeah, they're, they're uh, I just I couldn't. I literally never figured out how to actually jump forward on them, so I ended up just going past them. Um, I, got, oh, really? I got stuck on you <laughs> okay. know, that level where you go up. I think it's 2-6. You get yeah. up the tree, which is a cool stage, but there's a vine right at the top. And the amount of times that I fell down trying to jump that, <laughs> and every time you do that, the re- enemies respawn. And I finished that stage oh. with one slither of health with no lives left. And I'm like, thank <laughs> God, because I just wanted to get past that vine, even if I die right away. And then it was just like, an awesome moment in that next level i found i got two one-ups within that one level and then beat the boss and i'm like thank god i didn't die on that last fine thing otherwise i wouldn't have got that far <laughs> i didn't have that much trouble with the vines and and also just to call out you know this is a platform that was released in 89 i thought the graphics were pretty cool oh, like great. you know kind of came out around Super Mario Brothers 3-ish, Golden Axe-ish timelines, just to, for people to picture it. I thought it looked amazing. Oh, the, and I, it, the, to me, it still stands the, up. It still looks really cool. The sprites were large. It was great. Um, that yeah. floating moon effect was a little awkward, but they tried to be creative with it, you know? I oh, I liked it. It's kind of interesting, man. Like, a lot of the stuff you... Because, you know, just going back to the controls, my perspective on it, I actually think the game was very fair in... If, how it worked. Now I had to get, adapt to it because it's not like to, to your point, it, it, it's more, it's not sloppy or anything like that. It, I actually think the controls to me are pretty tight. It's just, you have to understand how the character moves and the momentum of the character, but it's kind of like unwiring a lot of the thought patterns I have on game design was almost the hardest part of how, it. How did you, you know, feel about like, the climbing it, mechanic and getting into small gaps? No, I thought that was fine. I didn't have that much what, of a problem with you, it. Like in the vines, the vines weren't a problem. Like I missed it maybe once. I, I, I think it's the third level. The level when you're inside the dinosaur, um, which is probably the worst level yeah, in the yeah, game, that's I reckon. Cool. But um, there's like a part where there's like a one-up if you manage to get into that little like single um, corridor. And... Yeah. Man, it takes ages to try to time the climb to get into there because you'd like keep jumping past really? it all the time. Man, it was frustrating. Really? Oh, interesting, man. I hope that it wasn't your setup or something that made it even harder. But no, I didn't seem to have that much problems with, from that perspective. Um, like, so I felt the controls were pretty decent. And I just felt there was a couple of things that the level design initially was like really just bland. And like, honestly, if I had just played that game, grabbed it, you know, mucked around with it, I don't think I would have continued on with it. Like, unless I'd bought it back in the day. Like, I would have been like, oh, yeah, uh, okay. But once I kind of got past, you know, the first few levels, it did actually throw a few new mechanics at you. And, you know, there was a bit more depth to it. But, I, you know, and I understand that, like, often with the first level, like a 1-1 level, you want to introduce things slowly but i just for me personally didn't do it in an interesting well, way they, it just seemed they, very bland yeah and i agree they introduced that first level was like oh this is this is this is good obviously it's nice and easy for the first level and then man they don't screw around the next level they don't ease you into those like volcano 
<laughs> right away, it's like <laughs> oh, no. mental puzzle that it has its that you can just get wrecked with. And like the second time I went through, I was fine because I was expecting it, but it's definitely could. I think those first couple of levels, the the ramp up is a bit weird. After that, it's it's, it's oh, yeah. fine. I do. There are a couple levels that are just frustrating, though. I think it was that swamp level with the vines um, that I found that I just, if I just went up the top and kept doing the spin move to like travel over everything, um, because otherwise you're just getting like hit by frogs and dragonflies trying to jump across this bloody these um, dinosaurs in the water. Um, so apart from a couple of frustrating um, sections, I, I thought that. The difficulty is not too bad, and I think it's. You're right. Like if I if I had bought this game as a kid, um, I would have loved retrying it over and playing through. And there's lots of the yeah. secret one ups, which is cool. Um, like yeah, very yeah. first stage, you just turn around and bonk the ground and get a one up. You know, um, and yeah, oh, okay. it's, it's really neat. And there's those cool bonus rounds at the start of Worlds Two and Three. You know, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's annoying that. I didn't realize that if you take damage in those bonus rounds, it follows through until the when you. So I'm like, oh, that's unfortunate, but um, it's just this really cool stuff. I love um those trees that you bash and they move and they've got these little faces on them. Um, yeah, yeah. It's I will say it probably has the worst ice physics in the game. <laughs> the- well, you know, and and some of those things are interesting, like the water physics and the way you control in water is so bizarre to me because I, like at first I was pressing the button, like, and I'm very like you trained in Mario, you know? So when I first started playing this game and the enemy came, I tried to jump on the enemy and right. I died. I was like, well, okay, <laughs> well, I'm not meant to be jumping that on enemies. That kind of game. Cause I didn't, <laughs> well, yeah, I didn't, I purposely didn't, watch any footage yeah, of how yeah, to play yeah. it or read anything. I just wanted to take it as it was presenting it to me, right? And I feel like that was the intention of the first levels, like very boring, but making you go, okay, you can't do that, so you've got to try to do something different. But the water physics and the way the the mechanics of the water, like I was trying to jump and do all this stuff and it was like getting so complicated. And then I realized you just move yeah. <laughs> and you can move around like normal. It's like this is not even water. I felt like I was flying. Well, in like, that first water level in the dinosaur and they've got those like tonsil enemies for ages. I'm like, how are you going oh, yeah, to get yeah, past yeah. them? And then I just realized you just wait for them to like turn and you just walk under them. <laughs> correct. <laughs> yeah, correct. I know. I was trying to kill them so many times. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Am I getting the timing wrong? Because that was one thing I liked about the game. I felt it was quite tight. You know, there's an attack that you do. I don't know what it's called, but where you know, you, you can hit them on the way down with your head and it's like, you know, you've got to get the timing right, but that's, to me, was the most effective move. Is that the spin move? Uh, so, well, spin is if you keep pressing it, but if you just hold it, it's like a dive bomb bonk, like headbutt. Yeah, that's, dive bomb, that's yeah. that's the way you essentially fight bosses because their weak points are on top. Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. But I found that that was like, you're just getting that timing right, but it can be pretty brutal because... There's so much la- lag to it. So you, you hit it and then you bounce off. You can't change the character. You can't move bonk at that stage. And you can land straight into another hit with no invincibility. I find so it stuffed me up a lot. Are, I think it's in World 4. No, the, the, I think maybe at the start of World 3, the, the dinosaurs that look like bonk that also do the bonk moves, 
Oh, they yeah, were yeah, nasty yeah. because they take like almost an entire heart off you each time they hit you. And I'm like walking around yeah. going to these bonus rounds and I'm, I had like three lives and I lost <laughs> them all. And I'm like, I'm going in these rounds to try to get a single life. And I'm, I'm not as just a travel over the whole these, these stupid things because they keep coming back. But, um, see, that was a part of the game. I just went through as yeah. fast as I could because I was like, nah, it, nah, nah. I'm not trying to get any. Yeah, it's here. neat. You know, they've got the power ups so you get the meat. And then if you get it twice or the big one, you get in temporary invulnerability, which is cool. Um, I love. Mm. The I wouldn't say love, but I like the the death mechanic. So every other platformer, generally speaking, you'll die and you'll restart at the start of level. In this, you just respawn from where you die, which is really really cool. Um, I don't think I've seen another platformer do do that kind of thing. No, and it actually threw me because when I died, I was like, oh okay, and I didn't press anything. I was just, just waiting for the game to do something to me. I'm staring like, at his dead body. And I was just there. I'm like. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, what's going on? I'm just dead. Like, what? Is this the end of the game? Do I need to reset to physically the game? <laughs> and then I think I pressed jump and then I came back to life. I was like, oh, okay. That's pretty and interesting. I, and I, sh- I should call out that um, you've played the game the right way. I cheated all the way through it. So I was using rewind and so everything. So <laughs> I, I had thought you may have done something. I specifically maybe... Knowing that you may have, not because, oh, I'm, I'm better, I'm like, I'm going to do it that way just in case so we can get two different experiences. And yeah. And look, like, I, if I had more time, to be honest, I, I wouldn't mind trying to play the game a bit more to get better at it. But I think, you know, those games were designed in that way because they were only, you know, you probably could beat the whole game in like an hour. Yeah. Right? If you're zipping through it, if you're good at it. So, you know, you have to make them hard or else... What's the replay value? People will play it once and go, oh, this game sucks. Otherwise, you, you end know? up with Aladdin on the SNES where, you know, I beat it the first time I ever played it in <laughs> under an hour. But um, In like 27 yeah, minutes or so. <laughs> yeah, and like I, I I, died when I got up to the first boss and then I believe you get unlimited continues. So the way the continue, if you didn't uh, use one, the way the continue system works is you will respawn at certain points. So when I died on the boss, I respawned at the start of the very first level, right? So that didn't really help me. Um, But when I died, World 2 has like eight levels or seven levels, so it's way longer. When I died Mm. later towards the end of the second world, I respawned at like World 2-4. So it kind of gave me like a mid-world checkpoint for the continue and I was hoping oh, okay. World 3 worked like that because I died on the boss. Even though I nearly beat him, I just only had one life. And then I respawned mm. and started World 3. So it's like, yeah, oh, but that, okay. that world, I will say, was very short because there's almost like levels where you can just skip over everything that are in the water and you just go to the end. But, yeah, it was really interesting. And I I also really like when you beat the boss, They've got some awesome dialogue. Um, like, <laughs> it's, it's so like they turn, it's like Sonic style. You beat an enemy and they turn into the nice version. Mm. Um, and it's ones like, I'm your new friend, arf, arf, arf. And I'm like, that is great yeah. dialogue. And the other one was, because uh, I only beat two bosses. Uh, you've won my heart and mind and then randomly goes, rip them up. It's like, it's just doom or something. <laughs> I know. Yeah, like, so I know this is real minutia and weird stuff that I'm going to talk about, but I thought it was weird the way they structured the game. So we actually didn't, uh, even though I got up to World 5, 
in reality, we almost got up to the same part because what happens is you beat the world three boss, then you start world four, mm. but world four is one level. What? And then you, you're up to the boss. Yes. <laughs> and then it goes to world five. <laughs> and I checked because I thought, oh, something's gone wrong. I've like gone through a secret or something. So I checked the guide and the guide, I was like, what the hell? It's like level world one is like five levels from memory. Yeah. Then world two is seven. Then world three is like five again or something. Five. So maybe world one is three. And then, yeah, world four is one. <laughs> and then world five is like five. It's, it's all over the place. Like how it's structured. I found that to be so weird. It's like Alex. It's like, like for Alex some reason, did, like the whole structure of the game is just like everywhere with that stuff. Like you'll come across a level that's super quick, and the next one will be way long, mm. or a boss will just be it'll just be like a section of doing you know rock paper scissors and things like that. But man, if I beat that boss, I I probably wouldn't have survived the next boss honestly because I probably would have had zero lives. But no, the next boss was way uh, easier. Okay. Like I smashed the next boss because. The next boss is like a boxing guy and you just like pummel him. Like it's it, like, I, I think I beat him in like 20 seconds. Cause you just jump up and you go slam, 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 slam. And he's like a third way dead. Then you do it the other direction, the other direction he's gone. I was like, what? Like the third world boss was way harder than this. What the hell? But, um, uh- yeah. It's a, it's a weird game. It's a weird game. And you know, I'm glad you brought up Alex kid because I thought, you know, Alex kid, wonder boy, monster land, all those games, I feel like it's got more to do with that than Mario definitely, or definitely, Sonic yeah. or anything like that. So, and, you know, I, I, we haven't actually discussed this off air, but, you know, from a perspective of, I don't, you know, obviously I don't think you can review or rate it necessarily, but, you know, would you recommend people play this oh, game? Oh, yeah. I, I think it's actually a really charming game. Uh, I'd love to see mm. what the SNES ports are like or the SNES games. I don't think they're ports. Um, like Super BC Kid and Super Bonk and things like that, because I I hope that they've got tighter controls. To me, um, if they do, and I have a feeling they might, um, then I think they just may you know end up being more my jam. But I think it's very good. It's probably a good showcase for the t- uh, the Turbo Graphics or the PC Engine, and I can kind of see why they would want to make this like a mascot character. It's, it's you know. It's, it's yeah. it's a cool game and I recommend it. Yeah, I, I totally recommend it as well. Like, especially for us as Australians who never experienced a PC engine, Turbo Graphics. So for me, it was like brand brand new. I hadn't, even though I'd heard of the game a lot, I've never actually seen much footage from it. Um, and it looks amazing. I think it looks really really cool. Um, you know, I think if I played this longer. It's certainly not, you know, in the echelons of Mario, but, you know, to be honest, and people are going to hate me for saying this, I'd probably put it up there with a game like Sonic the Hedgehog, which I've played a few of those Sonic games. Like, it's kind of like that kind of game, you know? Like, there's a lot of great levels. There's a lot of levels that are a bit, meh. Um, It feels like not a lot of editing was done. Um, But overall, yeah, you know, I'd recommend this game. I'm not highly recommended, but I'd I'd recommend playing this game. It's good to fire up. And certainly if you can get a Turbo Graphics 16 Mini or anything like that, I'd really think it'd be good to play. And I kind of hope they release like a collection on the Switch Um, because I think, you know, it would find an audience, this game. It's it's pretty cool. And was there anything else you wanted to mention about Bonk's Adventure? Ah, all good. Nice. 
Awesome. Well, that really wraps us up for the show. Um, always, as, as you'd understand, if you want to reach out to us, ask us any questions, reach out to us at bigwigpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at bigwigpod. Um, and then also don't forget to give us a five-star review on your podcast service as it will help people find this podcast. Uh, and with that, it's uh, bye-bye. See you.